What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Big Tech's ordinance has everything from complete firearms to OEM and aftermarket parts. If you're looking to put together your first AR-15, they have everything from those parts that you need to the tools that are going to be essential. If you're looking for suppressors, night vision, handheld lights, weapon lights, sights or optics, you name it. Big Techs has it all. Not only that, they're offering all those brands that we like. Go visit them at BigTechsOrdinance.com. Filster makes awesome holsters. But not only that, they also happen to be one of those companies that are trendsetters. A lot of their designs are emulated by other companies. Not only does Filster make those holsters, but they also provide concealment systems like the Enigma, the Flex. They also have a lot of solutions when it comes to concealment solutions for medical. If you need to have a concealment first aid kit, they happen to sell them. Check them out at filsterholster.com. Join Primary Arms Government on September 10th for their third annual First Responder Range Day. Hosted in Pasadena, Texas, this event connects law enforcement professionals with leading industry brands all while enjoying local food and event activities. In addition to live fire demos, this year's event will feature axe throwing, archery challenges, t-shirt printing, product raffles, and more. If you're an active law enforcement professional or other first responder, RSVP today by visiting primaryarms.com government. Walther is the performance leader in the firearms industry. Renowned throughout the world for its innovation since Carl Walther and his son Fritz created the first blowback semi-automatic pistol in 1908. Today, the innovative spirit builds off the invention of the concealed carry gun with the PPK series by creating the PPQ, PPS, and the Q5 match steel frame series. Military, police, and other government security groups in every country of the world have relied on the high-quality craftsmanship and rugged durability of Walther products. Walther continues its long tradition of technical expertise and innovation in the design and production of firearms. For more information, visit WalterArms.com. Hey everyone, Matt Lanfair here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to Modcast. Today is September 7th, 2022. The episode number is 312. The topic family PSD, not family PTSD. We've all, we're all experiencing that right now, I'm sure, but we're going to talk about personal security detail. So the idea behind this is we're going to talk about some concepts that if you happen to be in a position of authority, if you happen to be in a position that you're responsible for others, like your own kids or your spouse, or you are, you're in a relationship with someone and there's not anyone necessarily under you, you guys are equals, this stuff is still important to understand and know. Uh, we all travel uh, at some, to some extent, just going to work, just going to the store, uh, traveling to another state, going to Disneyland, going overseas. All of this has, there's, there's levels of risk with everything. So what we're gonna talk about are some concepts um, and it sounds like this might be a couple episode discussion talking about security concepts for your, for you being your, your, your own bodyguard, as well as your, your security detail 
for those around you. Uh, my background's in law enforcement. I've been doing the cop thing since last century. Matter of fact, just before, to, uh, before the show started, I ran into one of the state troopers that taught my accent reconstruction portion in the academy and had an awesome discussion with him. And he let me know, yeah, I've, re- I've been retired now longer than I was a cop. And here I am getting really, really close to that time to, to, to end. I'm looking forward to, to, to being in his shoes. It's going to be kind of cool. Let's see. Let's see where it, it takes me. Um, started the primary and secondary thing back in 2014. Basically, the idea behind this whole thing is trying to get the best information possible. And it's not necessarily that this gun right here is going to be the best for all roles or whatever. We've had, a, I had this awesome change in our direction where we really need to analyze what our options are and figure out what, what works best for our mission. And so some of these topics that we're going to talk about today, these are about what your mission is. So there may be some concepts that really don't fit what you do. It's good to have in the back of your mind. It's good to have as a reference, but take the information that's helpful for you and apply it because ultimately this kind of stuff, this, this isn't stuff that we get every day. Um, this is, we have some awesome, awesome. The, the panel here is just amazing. Uh, I'm really excited to, to learn about this kind of stuff with, from these guys who have been doing it forever, especially Aaron, uh, even though he looks younger than me, but yeah. Uh, so we'll continue on with, uh, with intros and I'm going to sit back and enjoy the education. Mike. Uh, I'm Michael Green. Uh, I'm the founder of Green Ops. I started off in the military. I spent 15 years in special forces. Um, three of those years I spent as an anti-terrorism instructor. And I was a course manager for the, uh, the only DOD um, instructor qualification course. But we're also charged with running another course called INTAC, which was the Individual Terrorism Awareness Course. Um, and, and during that time, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, terrorism, preventive stuff, protective measures. And then later on, I went to a, a specialized unit called a CRIF or a CIF, uh, where we uh, actually did some PSD stuff uh, for some general officers. And then I got out and I did uh, about, about 10 years of executive protection and PSD stuff in the outside world. And I saw the stuff that we were teaching back in the military at INTAC. Um, all that stuff was really uh, designed for folks going overseas to work in embassies. And um, a lot of that is, you know, definitely correlated to any type of executive protection. And in my opinion, that course basically taught someone how to be their own um, executive protection agent for themselves and for their families. Um, And, you know, looking at the the guests that we have tonight here, you're going to see probably a lot of correlation between our thought processes, seeing as some of us, most of us have very similar backgrounds, have worked in the executive protection field. So uh, next. Awesome. Aaron? Yeah, so uh, Aaron, um, former Army officer pre-9-11, and uh, since then, uh, about 21 years at the federal level, uh, doing protection and some other stuff, uh, both domestically, overseas, uh, quote-unquote normal environments, and also high-threat environments as well. Kurt? Uh, My name's Kurt Weber. I'm a retired SF guy. Uh, My unit, uh, we did quite a bit of... VIP protection for general officers, uh, and then from congressmen up to augmenting Secret Service for presidential security. Uh, After I retired, uh, about 15 years, I spent as a contractor for a Department of State program where we taught uh, 
uh, diplomatic protection to units overseas. And Shannon. How you doing? Hey, Shannon Campbell. Um, I started my protection career, I guess you would say, uh, starting from a martial arts career. Um, and I do not have any background to actually fall back on. So I had to pursue a lot of training. I'm not prior military. I'm not prior law enforcement. Um, by the end of it, um, I had experienced probably about five good years of executive protection spanning probably about uh, eight different countries. But with the events of 9-11, uh, the world changed. Um, started working for various companies, various federal agencies doing protection work, whether it would be ambassador level or clandestine level. Um, and currently a trainer for State Department. Good deal. So basically, we had this discussion. We typically with a modcast, there's a chat. And in the chat, Mike brought up, hey, I have a class. And I said, oh, and this might be a couple of days worth of stuff. Oh, so I'm going to now sit back and throw it over to him and, and learn. All right. So um, again, this was a five-day course. And, and you'll see those of, uh, those of you who have taken in the audience that have taken uh, any type of executive protection or PSD course will see similarities in these things. Obviously, in those five days, we weren't cover, you know, covering you know, formations and stuff like that. But the, the meat and the potatoes of, of, uh, of tactics are definitely there. So the first thing is on day one, uh, you know, we covered uh, introduction to terrorism. And then terrorist operations, individual protective measures, and then uh, they would go home and do homework on, uh, you know, studying or looking up current events and criminal and terrorist uh, activities that were currently going on. But people say, well, you know, that, that doesn't seem like, you know, eight hours worth, but it really was. So like introduction to terrorism, the mindset of teaching that introduction to terrorism is we want the students or wanted the students, and they, they do this in executive protection courses too, is they want them to know why the terrorists are doing or the criminals are doing what they're doing. And let's, let's make no, uh, no, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Terrorism is, is a crime. All right. I mean, it's a criminal activity and they learn from each other. So you see a lot of overlap between criminal activity and terrorist activity. Um, but the interesting thing to a lot of these folks is what we take for granted, you know, because these folks coming to the courses weren't always just military or just special forces. There were people throughout the Department of Defense. So we would have people who were government civilians coming to the course. And if they had dependents over the age of 18 years of age, then they could also come to the course if we had seats. And a lot of times we would make accommodations for them. Um, but it was always interesting to see from them, uh, you know, like the, the impact of when they found out the why, why the terrorists are doing what they're doing why the criminal does what they do. I mean, as an example, you know, I was in the Dominican Republic a few years ago and it was pointed out to us that those Oakley sunglasses that you have, you think, you know, that they're safe in that car, they'll take a brick and smash it open and grab those Oakleys because those Oakleys are worth more than a month pay down there. You know, and those are things that we don't think about, but knowing the why makes you go, Oh, okay, well maybe I won't leave these laying out. And the same goes for terrorist activities of knowing the why, why are they doing what they're doing? And we spent an entire hour on uh, introduction to terrorism and discussing the criminal side of that too. Um, and then the next one we would, 
we would kind of get dinged a little bit. We would always talk about terrorist operations, you know, historical operations. And we, yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone's heard like the Aldo Moro attack, um, and some of the old, you know, attacks in Europe, um, the, the one on the, 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 the bank, Deutsches Bank president. Um, and, and people would always say, well, why are you using these? And it's because as we look forward in um, Iraq and Afghanistan, years later, those exact same tactics were used over again. You know, criminals were doing the same thing to abduct people for ransom, you know. Um, and so th those are, are the main things that we pointed out um, as far as the attacks or the TTPs that we saw, how they, regardless of when they happened, they were still being used today. And we used, we'd like to use a perfect example that was used, you know, years ago. And so we eventually started incorporating, here's an old attack that took place in the 50s or the 60s. And then we would find an attack that was almost identical that was used early or, you know, more recently and to show them that correlation. Um, and then the final class that we did was individual protective measures, which was four hours four hours of everything that you could do to protect yourself as an individual living overseas. And we covered traveling, we covered, you know, flights, we covered, you know, uh, in vehicle, at your home, at your office, and the different things that you would do. And, and a lot of times that four hours led into discussion where we would go over on that. But interacting with people on the street, you know, how to keep your distance, common ruses people would use of, hey, what time is it and stuff like that. Um, and, and that was basically day one. And I'm sure uh, most of the guys here who have been through, you know, their training can attest that they probably received the same, if not similar type of training in their PSD and executive protection courses that they uh, either went to or taught at. Any of you guys have anything to add with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that, that's, you do have to learn from the past and we've had that come up before too, you know, old examples, uh, you know, what is there to learn from old examples? But like you mentioned, uh, you know, you can learn a lot from uh, TTPs or, or migrated across different groups, um, recycled here and there. And uh, it just because something's happened once doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. So you can learn a lot from that stuff. So. I would say also it's not just the, the TTP that they use because TTP do evolve over time, but the, the, the planning cycle, how, how bad guys planned in those, in those, like, like the, the Aldo Moro, uh, the, the Bash separatist one, and then the Deutsche Bank one are all good examples. If you look at their planning cycles that they use for those missions, the steps that they took to be able to successfully complete are almost the same. And then you look at current things that are going on when bad guys plan their operations, successful operations rarely happen by accident. So the, the, the steps that they have to go through and, and like we teach is that that's the easiest place to interrupt because once you're into the, the, the action phase of their operation, trying to interrupt the operation, it's, it's, that's already overcome. So successfully avoiding it, happens before that by interrupting their, their planning cycle. And so knowing what that is helps you spot things. Yeah. An ounce prevention, you know, definitely goes a long way. I'd like to caveat on that because we would get interaction from a lot of students that would say, Hey, that planning cycle is antiquated. 
um, you know, people who are going by and doing these drive-bys and stuff like that. And we would bring back that regardless of whether you, you think that they're um, doing something different, the reality of it is it may be instead of weeks of surveillance, it may be minutes, but that planning cycle is still the same, even though it may be condensed. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's, it's best to interrupt that cycle before it happens, you know, and, and we, you know, we see that in the, the you know, uh, uh, the OODA loop, you know, as you would say, uh, you know, observe, orient, and then you want to decide before, you know, you want to get into their OODA loop before they're able to make that decision to attack on you. Um, but that leads to the other thing of, you know, um, a, a hard target will a lot of times be bypassed. And, you know, we would give many examples of incidents um, of, of people or places that were about to be attacked, but because they had guards or they became, were more aware, you know, the terrorists or the criminal decided to go to a softer or weaker target. That's every single point you guys are making is spot on. Um, whether it was Charles de Gaulle, the infamous case of Charles de Gaulle, who always sold his security, security be security, de Gaulle will be de Gaulle. And then what happened? He ends up getting kidnapped, which everybody knew was going to happen. And even the kidnappers said, we're going to do it. Um, um, and then what happens at the uh, airport in Belgium? Exactly. The, it, it happens decades later, and then it happens again and again. Um, the airport in Belgium is another good example of what the SAS did with the provost in, um, in Gibraltar. They literally, the attack started with two eyes made contact. They looked at each other. Same thing happened in Belgium. Belgium was actually, a, at the airport, was actually a test run. But what we learn in our particular courses, and of course I'm jumping way ahead, is to give off non-alerting behavior and all that good stuff. But um, the, bad, the bad guys haven't changed in the understanding of predator thinking. Predator thinking is linear. Um, they're looking for a source to feed. You can. It actually turns into a study of psychopathy. Now, if you want to take a look at the PCLR test, have some fun with your spouse and give each other the test if you're a psychopath or not. It's a lot of fun. A little something you could do with your significant others if you wish. But what, uh, what, what Kurt said is dead on and what Mike exposed on is dead on. There is some planning. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit it is there. Even for the opportunist, there is something there. Uh, the FBI and a couple of other, um, it, it, it's, it's just a study I did when I was working at FACT, uh, Aaron. And um, we, uh, we discovered that no matter what it was, even the opportunist, there was some sort of planning. Can we see their planning? Can we find their planning? That's what we're always looking for. Um, but everything you guys are talking about is actually spot on. And that's one of the reasons why I just kind of like remain quiet because you're saying exactly but I was getting ready to say anyway. So, well, on the law enforcement side, uh, there's a lot of study of Klebold and Harris, the Columbine, and then compare that to Virginia Tech and compare it and compare. And there's a phrase that I use in teaching some of these classes, and it's that these shooters are looking for the high score. But at the same time, they're also learning from all the people before them and figuring out, okay, what's going to help me get that that high score? And that is a callous thing to say, high score. But it's the truth, and it's important it to recognize that. Yeah, exactly. They want that legacy. They know they're going to be in the news. And what Mike said right there was actually spot on, is that it's not fear of death. They plan on dying. It's fear of failure. That's what they fear. 
The hard target concept is if I can show you through more often than not body language, if you approach in this direction, you will fail. You're not going to get the count you want. Then they will normally, not always, move on to something softer. What Mike said. Well, I, I know their last names. They mm. were successful. Um, and another aspect, you brought up test run, which sparked my memory of something Rich Mason over at Darcy said. And uh, this is, and to me, this is a reason why this, this specific topic is so important. Okay, yeah, the U.S. is safe. Sure, it's safe. Who knows how many things are happening overseas as test runs to happen over here? Mm-hmm. So I'll be quiet now. No, I, I think that's that's uh, you know really valid when we uh, start talking about uh, the thing the the overlap. So when uh, you start talking about school shootings, you know those those are domestic things that are happening here, but yet people go oh, school shootings or anything close to that would never happen overseas. And so I spent uh, two years traveling overseas to embassies and teaching a program very similar to this. And the first thing we would do when we landed or before we even got there is we'd have an incident that happened close by. So, you know, the Reina nightclub in Istanbul, Turkey, you know, they killed 39 people in a nightclub, you know, uh, but people are like, oh, that, that only happens in the U.S. No, it happens overseas too, you know? And in comparison, that's uh, very similar to the, uh, uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, you know? Um, those, we definitely see correlation. We see overlap. And, and if you can remove the gun and replace a knife, an attack is an attack. I mean, just the other day, I think, uh, I, I think it was today, there was an attack somewhere overseas where it was like 10 people killed with a knife, you know, but these yeah. tactics are, I mean, it's valid to study them regardless of whether it's criminal, uh, terrorist overseas, because it does and potentially can happen here. Well, uh, Happy Land, was it in late... Was it in the 80s or the 90s? The Happy Land Club in New York. Basically, uh, upset guy, I think he caught his girlfriend with someone else, decided to torch the stairs, which yeah. in turn killed a lot of people. No firearms used. Fire was used. Gasoline. Yeah, I, I think another point to make, to tie into both of those things, um, is that what you don't know, you don't know, right? So you know, where people may look at the attack planning cycle and say, well, no, no, I don't see that they did the attack planning cycle here. We talked about compressed cycles and, you know, that they are still using them. And then also about not being aware, you know, that common misconception that, oh, these things don't happen elsewhere. Uh, when they do, you just maybe not hearing about them. But it's for those that have training and experience, you can recognize that some of those things that, yes, the, the attack planning cycle still happened. It was just maybe greatly compressed. Maybe it was compressed down, like 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 Mike said, down to minutes. But it still happened, and maybe in an abbreviated form. But it still happened. So that's something you know. If, if you're not looking at that with background, experience, and training, you may not notice those kind of things, and, and, and be aware that they're actually happening. Take it away, Mike. All right. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, you talk about the, uh, the happy land fire. It's, it's something that, um, you know, a lot of folks, they don't consider. And, and one of the things that we taught in our course, uh, when we talked about folks going overseas is the safety and security measures that are brought inside the States, like the happy land fire could never 
possibly happen today because you know that was uh, like 30 years ago fire code um, yeah exactly yeah. um and we take that for granted and you know if you look and do some research you'll see you know in latin america indonesia and place like that hundreds of people are killed in fires and you just like to yourself like how could that happen and uh, I remember I was out in Bogota one night and we went to this huge steakhouse everyone wanted to go to. And we drove like an hour away from the embassy to go there. And we're in there and we're stuffed in this place like sardines. And it's a wooden building. And um, all the exits that weren't part of the main exit, there was uh, chains locked, wrapped around and locked. And there, there was no way to get out. And I'm like, man, if there's a, if there's a fire in here, we're all going up because this place is kindling, just waiting to happen. But those are things that we would teach folks like, hey, if you're going to go to these types of places, you need to be considering what are my exit strategies? How do I get out? And obviously, in a protection world, you're going to be looking for that. But seldom do people as individuals look for that. And, you know, as, as recently as just a few years ago, I was going overseas and doing these surveys in different places that people would go and shop. And that's the first thing we would ask these people when they went there. It's like, hey, did you know that at Restaurant X, there's an exit in the back behind the bathroom? Nine times out of 10, they were totally unaware of that. Um, and we would explain to them that, hey, you know, a lot of times bad guys are coming in the front door. You know, you need to have an exit strategy. And uh, it was interesting to hear some of the, because uh, we would give them homework to go out to these places that they would go to frequently. And they would come back with some interesting escape routes, um, including one guy who uh, basically found a way that he could climb up through like a, uh, like there was an overhang of a tent and he could slip through there. And he's like, yeah, he goes, he saw the, that there was enough uh, give or flexibility in the top of the tent between the fence that he could throw his kids up there and, and they could get out at least. And then, you know, he could follow behind, but it was good that they were thinking that way, but you know, that's something that's seldom people are always thinking about shooters and, you know, stuff like that. Well, you know, it's the same thing when it comes to, you know uh, you know, uh, security, when it comes to, uh, you know, fire codes and stuff like that. I was in the Philippines and I came out of my, uh, my room and I wanted to walk down the stairs and I started walking down the stairs and uh, I couldn't, there was a floor I couldn't get past because they had used the stairwell as storage. And this was a, I mean, this is a five-star hotel, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know what, if this was, if the elevators were down and there was a fire, everybody would be trapped here, you know, but definitely. And, and I'm sure the guys here, you know, have been in some pretty, pretty crazy countries to seen some weird stuff like that. I'd like to hear what's like the, the, the craziest, most dangerous looking thing you've ever seen, you know, from wires, you know, electric wires on the ground to, you know, buildings about to blow up. I mean, what do you guys got? I, I'm in one of those crazy countries right now. And <laughs> for, for, and they, I, I wish I'm up on a high floor in a hotel. Uh, but if I was down a little bit farther, I would just open up the window and turn the camera to look at the electric pole because the wiring, the electric wiring all over the country looks like a crazy drunk, uh, 18 echo camo guy with some WD one just started stringing camo wire around and that's how they run the electricity. It's, it's literally a fuzzball of wires on every pole that people just go up and tap into because electricity is expensive. So, you know, off every electric pole is thousands of wires going in every direction that transformer fires are really, really common. 
uh, because of that? For me, I, I would say like by way of natural disaster or man-made disaster or just your uncommon type of thing was definitely um, uh, West Papua, uh, Indonesia, where everything in the jungle wants to kill you. And uh, it was an unusual place to actually work because I was always working in places that were like dry, hot, freezing cold, something like that. But now I'm in a rainforest, now I'm in a jungle. Um, and um, earthquakes were common, floods were common. Um, and driving down the one and only MSR, which goes from below sea level all the way up to Pukanjaya, one of the big greats that everybody wants to climb, one of the big nine or eight, I think. Um, there's only one road, so everybody's on that road. 18 wheelers, uh, natives, and us. And uh, you could be driving along, and then all of a sudden, you're in an armored vehicle, and boom, 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 you don't know what the heck that was. Your car is bouncing around. It tips. It bounces off a tree. It bounces off a rock, and you get out. And, of course, it's a torrential downpour. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, and you just ran over a snake. That was that big. You know, it, 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 it's stuff like that. Um um, the scary part about actually coming off the MSR going into the jungle was not that there might be a green on blue, which was common there. Um, but the things that were just inside that tree line that want to bite you, uh, very scary stuff. I, um, whether it was a, uh, literally a spider that's legs came out about this far, uh, the King Brown, uh, which is an infamous mistake. One of those things you, your bit, minutes, your dad, that kind of thing. Um, so we were dealing with that sort of thing. Um, and then, of course, when you're doing those sort of patrols and that sort of physical security and pipeline security um, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you just you, sometimes you don't even know if, if the road's going to be in front of you. And sometimes we got lucky and we actually saw the flooding before we actually drove into the flooding and ended up in a 4,000-foot ravine. So yeah, there was there was always something to look out for, and it, it it makes you feel weird, it makes you feel odd. You almost feel like a little bit of a geek. You, you're not going to fit in with everybody else at the party, if that makes sense. Um, uh, my wife thinks I'm genuinely paranoid all the time. If she thinks uh, that I think everyone's out to get us, and I do, I think everyone's out to get us. Um, but uh, it keeps me on my toes in my later years. I guess that's one way of putting it. Um, but those were some of the things that I actually found. Um, I, it, it's weird to not mention Afghanistan, Pakistan, South Africa, Lesotho. It's because, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about, the occasional middle of the night duck and cover. If I'm not dead already, I'm staying in my bed. It's funny how we got used to that real quick. You know, um, most people would say, oh, no, that's the craziest thing I've ever encountered. No, that was, and I'm not trying to sound cool guy or tough guy. No, that was normal. I hate to say that word, but it was actually kind of normal. So. No, that was Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, along the same lines of crazy things overseas, one, one of the things you don't think about, uh, especially for people that are have only ever lived in the United States, is construction standards. Uh, not just things like fire codes, but rebar overseas is not the same thing as rebar in the in the u.s reinforced concrete is not made the same that's why it is not uncommon at all at, at the first sign of any trouble for a building to just completely collapse and turn to rubble because the the concrete basically just falls apart under any pressure so if there's anything earthquake related i uh, see this a lot in china korea has had 
You know, big examples where a tiny little thing will cause an entire building to collapse and trap hundreds of people inside. Um, so, you know, those evacuation route planning, how do I get out of here at the, at the very first sign of trouble really becomes critical in those things because things like fire, escape doors being chained shut, being blocked, the building just collapsing around you, you, you have to take all of those things into account. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, everything that everybody said so far, I think we, we all look at each other and go, yep, yep. Uh-huh. I remember that. I've seen that here. I've seen that there. I mean, the, the, the bird's nest of wires, seen that a number of places, uh, construction standards, like you mentioned, you can be in a five-star hotel, some places. Uh, and if you look closely, you can see the, the, the cracks and things, the facade falling off, uh, the shoddy construction underneath. Um, that's a five-star hotel. You're just kind of wondering, why is this thing going to hold up? Um, uh, one, one I'll bring up that it's a little, a little different, not worried about threat or anything like that, but uh, uh, in Nepal once, uh, taking a trip up into the Himalayas uh, in some of those roads where there's literally, you know, one, one vehicle can get by at a time. Uh, it's that wide. And you've got, uh, you know, mountain on one side and ravine of a thousand feet, you know, to your, to your other side. And you've got another vehicle coming down at you, barreling down, coming the opposite direction. And you're sitting there wondering, man, I hope this I hope this driver's pretty good and knows what he's doing because you know if something happens here, it's it's catastrophic, man. It's it's over and it's there's there's no uh, get out of the vehicle and try and treat people for injuries because uh, we're going to be at the bottom of this ravine. So you know, I mean, all those kinds of things. It's just yeah, you you name it. There's a lot of just crazy crazy stuff out there that that you see overseas that you just wouldn't even imagine if you if you haven't been there and experienced it. I think that's, I think that's something that's, that's seldom brought up. You know, people talk about going overseas, but you know, very seldom do you hear people talk about preparation of the driving overseas because each country is so radically different as far as their driving behaviors um, that, you know, some places there, there's no, what, what appears to be no rhyme or reason or anything of why they do what they do. Lines are not even suggestions in many of these places, even though they have painted lines. Um, you know, lights that people are constantly blowing through. Um, the, the um, you know, what do you do in an accident? You know, is it, is it, does it, everyone stop or they keep going? You know, some places I've been, it's rubbing is racing. You, you, you have someone take your mirror off and they just keep going and, you know, you try to report it to the police and they're like, what are you, it's just a mirror, you know, um, other places you have a little scratch and you got to stop the car. They call the police, uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy, you know, and then not to mention, you know, like driving on the opposite side of the road, like in England and South Africa, you know, they, uh, those are things that, you know, we just, we just don't talk about, but, uh, I think the folks here who have driven overseas we're probably a little bit more aggressive in the states than most people would like i know i am because you just kind of get in that habit of just always being aware and uh, i think shannon said you know what's uh what some people think you're paranoid I, I would disagree it's just a higher state of awareness thank you it's not paranoid if they're actually out to get you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, for me, having lived overseas, not PSD or military or anything like that, just some of the aspects that were uh, of the culture itself were disorienting or 
the bathroom situation is disorienting or we have grown so accustomed to so many, so many niceties where we live in the United States. And then to leave that it's eye opening. Nope. But at the, at the sure. same time, I can, I can see why some people are, are angry with us because we have all of this. Yeah. The, the, the driving thing in, in Lebanon, they use the, the idea of the lane marker is your car should be right in the middle of it. So, you know, <laughs> the line, they, they, they will work to keep the line in the center of the vehicle. Uh, in the Philippines, they turn their lights out when they're driving at night. They only turn them on every once in a while because the, they think it runs the battery down if your lights are on. So they don't want the electricity to run out. Yeah. I've seen that in other countries besides the Philippines too. And dude, I couldn't, you know, I lived in Beirut for a year, man. And driving there was just like, you were sweating at the end of the drive. And, yeah, uh, me, me too. It's, it's definitely a different place. Yeah. Hey Matt, something you mentioned, I think is, is important to key on as well. Um, you mentioned about kind of, you know, about cultural norms and, and what's different culturally in different places. And, and I think everybody here, you know, on, on this panel would agree that, you know, if you're traveling overseas, trying to, trying to figure out what those cultural norms are is, is pretty important because what we think is out of place, what we would key on as Americans to what we're used to, um, that, that might get us, you know, a little more aware, or a little bit more concerned, uh, may not be the case, um, different places. It may be other things that you need to keep an eye out for and, uh, and, and other things that you need to key on that, are, that would be the out of place things uh, for those different cultures and locations. So that brings up a question I have, and we kind of touched on it in that last podcast a couple of years ago, talking about overseas travel. Um, it seemed like the commonality was the people that were the foreigners or that brought attention to themselves were, uh, were automatically going to be like a mark. It's like, okay, that's the person we're going after. So what are things that people can do generally in public, whether they're traveling or they're even at home from ha having that oozing that uh that that appearance that i can't even think of the right word to describe that without giving off that that notion that you you're going to be an easy uh easy target i i think that you know it, it can be it can be tough obviously um it, americans are pretty easy to be picked out by by certain people in other countries regardless of of, of what you do um, so there's certain things that you can't avoid. Um, I, I would say, you know, definitely don't, don't try to look the tourist part as much as possible. Um, you know, you're not going to blend completely, but, uh, but, you know, try, try not to do the over the top, uh, tourist stuff to include awareness and everything too. I mean, yeah, you're going to take photos different places if you're, if you are, you know, on vacation or something like that, but, you know, try not, you know, try to watch what you're doing, be aware and I think that awareness piece uh, is, is, is a big key thing. And I think that's, it's kind of a common theme that applies across a lot of things. And a lot of what we'll probably be talking about tonight as well um, is, is the awareness and truly being aware, not just paying lip service to it, but, uh, but also, you know, bad guys can be pretty savvy as well. You know, they can be pretty schooled up and pre pretty keyed in and they can pick up on awareness also. So if you, if they sense that you're more aware of what's going on around you and you're not oblivious by that, you're probably going to be a little bit harder of a mark. You're going to be that little bit of a harder target that maybe, you know, 
hey, this, this over-the-top tourist person is not paying attention to anything that they're doing, they're much easier for me to deal with than this guy that's that's keyed in on me already and, and knows that I'm I'm up to something. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we would do in our individual protective measures course that we would teach for at, at part of the intact course was we would tell folks that they need to research the culture that they're going to, to find out those, those nuances. But as you speak about general things, you know, as Aaron was talking about, like the, um, your, your, your appearance, you know, the one thing that we try to um, point out the folks is they want to have an air of confidence, no matter where they go, if they go in and start looking around and, you know, like, like they're lost or that they're not somewhere that they should be. then that that's an indicator to a lot of folks, you know, right there, it's just their body language, you know, I mean, there's other little things you can do as far as like, you know, one, we would always tell folks, Hey, you know, don't look like an important person. Don't look like a rich person. Don't look like a well-to-do person, you know, um, you know, try to blend in with your surroundings, dress like them. But the most important stateside thing is, too. Yeah. Yeah. Is, 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 is look, look confident, you know? Um, and there was a study and I can't, I think it was an FBI study where they interviewed um, criminals who had killed police officers and uh, they had asked them, you know, these questions over and over again, why did you select so-and-so and so-and-so? And many times there was a person that they, that they, that they chose not to. And when they asked them, it wasn't size that was like, we always assume, oh, it's a big guy. Stay away from the big guy. Criminals would say little stuff like, now, why didn't you attack her? She was twice, you know, half his size. And it was like, because she was more aware or she was more confident or something as simple as their opening gate, the way they walked, it made them look like they had confidence. And I didn't want to, I don't want to go with that. So I went with a weaker target, even though they were bigger, but they were less aware. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say having that paranoid, like looking around like a drug addict on speed or something like that, but definitely being aware will back people off. I was in Mexico city one time and uh, I was watching some folks that I was with and they were oblivious. Of course, you know, they, they, the client never really pays attention to anything because uh, but we were doing some low profile stuff. So we weren't up right next to them and uh, they were sitting there watching some panhandler or something like that, but they had bags of stuff that they had just purchased. And there was about four people that were like looking and there was a team and they were about to do something. And I just caught the eye of one of them. And then he caught the eye of the other guys and they basically called it off, you know, but just them seeing me be aware took them and said, well, we need to get out of here. They're aware, you know, um, but sometimes that's all it takes is just you know, walking into these places and just having that air of confidence. Um, I remember one time we went to a uh, black market to buy some stuff and our leadership found out that we went there and they're like, you guys didn't get killed. Like people get, you know, robbed down there all the time. And we were like, we had no issues or no problems whatsoever. You know, we walked in there like we owned the place. Uh, we didn't make a big deal about it, but, you know, it was obvious that we were there to do business and that we weren't doing something that, you know, made us be there longer than we had to be. Um, and I guess they respected the fact that we were there to do business and get out, you know, but they didn't want to mess with us and we don't want to mess with them. Yeah. Hey, uh, Mike, recent case in point, I think, um, and I don't have any you know, background scoop as far as what was in the guy's head or anything, but, but the Abe assassination, um, you know, 
based upon my experience, I think we can all agree probably, you know, that, that guy that, that pulled that off, he took a look at the, at that PSD and what he didn't see made him confident enough to go ahead and move in and do what he did. I mean, he was, you know, he, he moved in pretty, pretty, um, pretty confidently and, and did his thing. And he recognized that, Hey, you know what? These guys don't look like they're going to be a threat. I can get to this guy and I can pull this off. So that's, that's definitely that. I mean, it can be recognized uh, professionally as well, that, that hard target or soft target, you know, what's, you know, what does the professional PSD look like? Are they on their game or are they just all just kind of gaggling around and not really paying attention? So the, the bad guys key on that, you know, at all different levels uh, when they're looking for targets and what they can pull off. No, that's a great example. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure there are protection teams throughout the world looking at that going, I mean, how did he do it? I mean, he shot twice, you know, I mean, uh, incredible that it was, you know, um, I, I, I think, um, I think that, that, that's a, a great example of, a, of a, uh, of a team that was just totally un, unaware, you know, um, are you, are you guys using that for any type of training film or anything like that? Um, I'm, I'm not involved in any of the training right now, so uh, I don't know if that's being used by anybody, but, uh, but it definitely got me when I saw it happen. Uh, it definitely got me thinking. I, I think, you know, we look at some of those pictures too, you know, there's, there's training, there's mindset, uh, there's equipment as well. So, I mean, those guys were, I mean, at least one of them, you saw the jacket, you know, pulled back and I believe it was a, a cross draw holster with a snap with a revolver in it. So, I mean, how, how quick and effective, are you going to be uh, dealing with a threat? I mean, it, there, there was no reaction until well after, you know, things happened. But, yeah. but even if there was a reaction, how quick were you going to be able to, to, to break leather and actually bring that weapon out to bear and use it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, that part of it too. So you look at it across the board, I think, and you see uh, some systemic issues, I think. there. Yeah, it, it- and you know, one thing that kind of irks me is when you hear about, um, you know, like the secret service, uh, they're like, Hey, they, they react too soon or something like that. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, like the, I think it was Bush when he was getting sick and his, you know, his agent jumped across the table. I'm like, Hey dude, you don't, I mean, we, you know, as, as normal people, they don't know what else is going on and what potentially could go on. So I, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't begrudge a, an agent for, you know, being too quick, if you would, because I'd rather be too quick than too slow. Right. Uh, well, and, and also the, I mean, the two things that you're, you're looking at, I mean, in the professional protection world too, is it's not just protection from harm, but there's also the protection from embarrassment piece too, you know, to that. So that, that is a factor in a, in a, in a piece of that as well. I, I'm living and working in Asia right now. Uh, I, I have not worked with the Japanese uh, presidential protective people, but I would guess they are drawn from uh, a police unit and Japanese police are not going to be, uh, one, their equipment isn't what we would expect from a, a big city police department in the U S uh, for the most part. Um, but also they're not going to be nearly as aggressive in their dealing with the public as, as an American, as an American protective detail would uh, about keeping people away and reacting um, because also, you know, the, the principal in this case 
I'm, I'm quite certain wanted a very low key detail. And so that was the, the, the emphasis that they were going on. And, and I, I would say that it, if it's not being used as training right now, it will be shortly uh, as more investigation in, into the background of it gets completed. I'm quite certain that's going to be, you know, in, in every PSD curriculum uh, probably within a year. Well, and once once again, back to the cultural norms, right? I mean, they were, you know, operating within their cultural norms as well as part of that. That is the uh, that, that's the kind of material that uh, normally would be found uh, with the unit I used to work with when a bear's kind of threat with state is working with. And of course, this could be a separate podcast unto itself, working with your clients to get them on board with your program. Um, it could be the same thing getting your spouse on board with your program, your kids on board with your program. Um, just as a side note, uh, my wife cannot find her car. She does not know where she's going. She does not have backup mobility or comms. So I'm the one that has to do all that. I'm sure we would all agree if you have spouses, right? Um, but uh, the it, I, I still think it kind of goes back to what Mike mentioned that they do for a full eight hours on Monday. Is they talk about the bad guy. Okay. Um, the bad guy is out there. The bad guy is not only looking for prey, he's also looking for other predators. So that is why your body language, like you, like you guys talked about, it means a ton. Whether you walk into the room and you literally go chin up corner, the corner, the prey didn't see that. The would be predators saw that. Then now you're someone that, oh, I might need to stay away from this person. The bad guy might, you now have put a, a question in his OODA loop. Through, I mean, literally, you, you were Boyd when he talked about ODA. He always said you should be con constantly, not just observing, but you should be constantly, more to the point, orienting. Where am I? Where are they? What are the proximities? How close do I need to be? It could be a, it could be a physical thing, it could be a mental thing, whatever you want it to be. Um, but but we had to more often than not, we had to make a cell at fact. And Aaron, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, we had to, because the, the FSOs would tell us, I've been everywhere, man. There's nowhere I've ever been. I've done everything. The list goes on and on. I'm headed over here to being a bash now. What exactly are you trying to sell me here? Okay. Uh, what do they teach us in, uh, in Fleeta? Uh, the WIFM, right? What's in it for me, right? I've got to sell you up front. So the bottom line is, I don't think they're going to attack you. That's exactly what I would say to a DCM. But you're going to be sitting there with your spouse, kids in the backyard, and a shootout happens right there between those two cars at the stoplight with you. And I'll never forget watching this DCM. His face lit up like, I never thought of that. He goes, you know how many reports come across my desk where crime and shootings happen right next to my people? I was like, yeah, you just happen to be there. What do you do? That, it, it, you're not the intended victim. You know what I mean? So that that is something that we're trying to, that I I'm trying to sell to my wife. You know, you're standing there at Starbucks and something happens right there. What do you do? Leave. It's as simple as that. Um, so the, the fact that you just happen to be there, uh, which you guys talked about with that, with 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 um, with uh, body language. Oh, it, think about it. There's over 600 million ways to communicate. But body language sells. That's the one that sells. OK, Um the way you, the way that you actually can look down when you don't know the answer to a question that just told a bad guy something a lot about you. You know what I mean? The way you looked up looking for the answer that told the bad guy a lot about you staring at your phone. Oh my God, that phone. 
right? Um, as much as I hate, and I hate, I'm using the word hate, studying languages, I would still do it just so I could have just some common dialogue. So I kind of blended in just a smidge, just a little bit. I looked like I belonged there. It looked like it was common for me to be there. It wasn't a mistake or happenstance that I was there. Um, but my body language spoke a lot. It really did. My shoulders back a little bit, my chin up a little bit and moving just a little bit slower. Like I just did right there on camera, moving just a little bit slower. But Mike, Mike was hinting on it, hinting on it right there. That panic that people get into when they feel the frenzy, the hairs on the back of that, they get a little jittery, they get a little hunchy, they get a little like this. Um, Jeff Smith, Lumpy, Mike, uh, you still with PR at the bureau? These are things that they are working on nonstop. They're, they, they, these are things that they are constantly trying to get across to these people. Hey, even if you are 5'3 and you're 60 years old, stand up straight. It actually communicates to the world so many different things, and it's very powerful. Um, I think what was happening, um, one thing with most protection details, my limited experience, is that when I watch a team not do what they are supposed to do, um, there is a little bit of the Kubler-Ross syndrome happening because I saw it happen so many times with our FSOs in fact. Um, this doesn't happen here, this doesn't happen to me. Denial. Denial is more than a river in Egypt. We, Every single person in this podcast right now and everybody on the list that's actually listening in right now, we've all fallen for it, okay? This is not real, this is not what has happened. And that's one thing that I think that makes the likes of us a little bit odd, because I'll believe it, I've seen it. And uh, because I've seen it happen and I denied that this is actually happening, like me, I got abducted at gunpoint and I was held, okay? Um, I refused to believe for that entire time it was happening. I was talking myself out of it. Gun is there, it's happening. The drugs, the people, the cars. You, you could not have given me a million dollars to believe it because the mind wanted to secure itself. It's as simple as that. And it became a point of study. That's why I enjoy talking about these particular aspects of the game, if you will. Um, but denial. They, they refused to believe that was a gunshot. They, they refused to believe that somebody might actually want to hurt them. Um, we encountered that with our episodes a lot with, uh, with foreign affairs counter threat. So they refused to believe bad things could actually happen to them. Well, you know, according to my grandmother, bad things only happen to good people. It's just as simple as that, right, guys? But the only permanent cell is that a bad thing is going to happen next to you and you've got your four-year-old. What do you do? And that's why I enjoyed uh, the conversation I've had with you, Matt, uh, here uh, on Facebook and that sort of thing in the direction that we're actually taking this because there are practical steps that we can actually go into, helpful tidbits, tips, things you can do, preparations, routines. Oh, my gosh. And, and when I was looking at Mike's curriculum, I'm like, holy cow, that's exactly what we need to be hitting. Um, alternate means of communications, alternate means of mobility, uh, the list goes on and on, how to actually get away from the uh, that thing. But um, the, the, the final thing I kind of wanted to just kind of um, kind of finish up with or that sort of thing is, um, and it still rolls back, still rolls back to the exact same thing. Why is it, and to actually quote Ted Bundy in one of his interviews, why is it you picked this girl when you were pursuing that girl? She gave me a hard time. As simple as that. The man knows he's going to get away with it. He knows he's good at it. All right. I mean, brilliant. The guy's a genius. 
genius, as you will find most PCLR level 40s are, and that's what he was, a psychopath. But uh, here's, a, here's an example. So I actually wanted to uh, finish up this particular way, is um, he was pursuing one particular girl at one particular time, actually closing in physically on that person. But she was giving him a hard time. He, he couldn't get past the car. He, he couldn't get around this. She had noticed him, he thought, and she was trying to make it away. Well, then he noticed one girl smiling, standing right here behind the counter. Click, just like that. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because bad guys do not have, quote unquote, backup plans. Their thinking is linear. The cheetah, if it doesn't get the gazelle, it doesn't have a backup gazelle. It has to start over. Does that make sense, guys? That's why it's very important, if you can, to interrupt that OODA loop, because Normally, what we find in our PSD worlds, guys, the same thing with law enforcement, is we are responding to the attack, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we can make the bad guys do what we want them to do, which is now they have to respond to me. And if I can interrupt that ODA loop, if I can do something they did not see, if I can literally do this, and now all of a sudden, whoa, I just got in this guy's head. I disrupted his plan. He is now... And nothing's worse than losing the initiative in an op. I think you guys would totally agree with that. But how would you like to get it back? And I think it's a great way to actually get it back. It's just like that. Yeah. So I'll get off my soapbox. Sorry. Hey, Shannon, it's a good, definitely some good points. And I, I think to, to jump on to something you mentioned there about the proximity and everything to something going on is that, you know, whether we believe or not, anybody believes something's going to happen to us or we talk ourselves out of it or whatever. I mean, the important thing to remember, and it's really cliche, uh, and I'm sure everybody's heard it before, but, you know, it's not just us that has a say. The bad guy has a say. It, it's, not up to, it's not up to us, right? Uh, so, uh, like you said, keying in on that stuff, uh, getting within that OODA loop on, on their end as well, and then just realizing that, you know, it may not be us, but proximity to something may, may automatically by default make us part of it. And, and we may not have a choice in that, but guess what? Now, now you're part of it, whether you want to or not, and now you've got to deal with it. Yeah, and that, that's why I mentioned before the understanding the planning cycle and how that works is because it's not just awareness, but pattern recognition. If you can't, and, and this goes to, you know, being uh, swimming through the culture of the country that you're in, uh, to your operation. I, I work primarily in places where I will never be mistaken for a local uh, just because of, you know, I'm, I'm in a place right now, there's a, a different race of people here. So I'll never be mistaken for a local, but I can blend in because I recognize the pattern of everyday life and I can adjust what I'm doing to their patterns so that I seem like I belong, even though I'm not from here. Uh, and with bad guys, it's the same thing, recognizing their pattern of, of what they're looking for in their attack cycle. What is this a rehearsal? Is this a, a reconnaissance that they're doing? Are they prepping for a dry run uh, before they do their final attack? Being able to recognize those things for what they are and then reacting a, appropriately at that time to it, because I, I see what's happening. I know what it is. And now I can respond in a way that prevents further attacks down the line. And like Shannon said, I, I interrupt their OODA loop and reset them. And now they have to start over. And hopefully they're starting over with somebody else, not me. Nailed it. Yeah. I think that's uh, 
extremely, extremely valid. Um, I would say the other thing is, you know, I've been in similar countries where there's no way I'm going to blend in none whatsoever, but there are so many people from different cultures there that I could pick. Like I was in, I was in, uh, when I first got to Beirut, there were a ton of Germans there. The UN was there. And, uh, so I started seeing what they were wearing and I started dressing like them. And then when I would go to stores after about a week of wearing those types of clothes, they would actually come up and try to talk German to me because they thought I was one of the Germans. Where do you get lederhosen in Beirut though? That's you, you just, you buy the Adidas, you know, you buy you know, the, the <laughs> I thought that was Ukrainian. Or, okay. The skinny jeans or whatever, you know, uh, ba- the, baseball hats, not, <laughs> not every American wears a baseball hat, but everyone that's wearing a baseball hat is an American when you're overseas. That's just, first yeah. rule yeah i was in riyadh one time in uh in a cell phone shop and you know everyone's wearing the the, the man dress with the, the the head i don't know what you call the head thing but uh guy comes in and he is wearing the uh the traditional garb from the neck down and he's wearing a new york yankees hat <laughs> it was no confusing him for anything but a local you know but i wouldn't have been able to pull it off The only time I think that I, I was able like to, I, I would not necessarily blend in, but belong, like it makes sense that this individual was here. It always depended on how large our presence was. Um, uh, when I was working on a particular detail, um, Saudi royalty uh, and Al Saud, um, when we would land in Marrakesh, um, it didn't matter. It'd be through our association, we were good. Does that make sense? Uh, because of the, who we were with and what we were doing, that sort of thing. So blending in did not make sense. You did not want to blend in. You wanted to be part of that program, which you genuinely were. But of course, it doesn't matter where you go. In, in Haiti, you're the bourgeois. You know what I mean? Uh, in um, Indonesia, we're the boule. And it was always some sort of name. You know what I mean? That's attached to you. So sometimes, it, and it was rare, but sometimes it made sense. It made sense to actually own that just a little bit um, because it gave them a small air of comfort, if that makes sense. Um, the only time I've actually been mistaken, uh, it, it just came to mind, Mike, uh, South Africa, Lesotho, a couple of other places in Africa. Um, I have always been mistaken for French. I don't know how it happens, but people walk up to me and start speaking French airports, different countries, different cities, different places. Um, I've never understood that. I don't look French. I don't think, do I? You walk around with your hands up like this? (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's, you know, I, I I can't stress how important a lot of this is, you know, um, and it's unfortunate that many of us have to find out from being on the ground when you know we would tell folks hey you have assets at your disposal you know there's this thing called the internet um you may know people that are already there you know um there's tons of information out there um you know working any type of government stuff you can always call the embassy or you know whoever your your counterparts are there and you can ask a lot of them these questions before you even get there and then, of course, once you get there, you just got to be really aware and start, you know, looking into, you know, that um, those cultural differences, 
so that they can help you blend. And, and then the other thing is, regardless of the cultural, you know, differences, you want to determine, you know, what is, what is the, what is the primary threat? Is it against Americans? You know, cause some countries you go to and you're an American, they're not going to mess with you. You know, um, other countries you want to be a Canadian, you want to, you know, not say you're Canadian, but you want to at least look like someone that's not an American. Um, you want to find out, you know, what, what is the nationality of their victims or, you know, are they just attacking rich people, you know? Um, but there's, there's usually tons of information. We're so, there's so much more information available to us today than there was, you know, 30 years ago when I was teaching this stuff initially, um, as, as, as it's evolved and I've seen the different methods that we can acquire information you'd be surprised. I mean, there's blogs out there of expats that live in these countries that can give, you know, the same information. They may not be able to eloquently explain what they're doing or why they're doing it, but, you know, they may be able to express it in a different manner, uh, which is always interesting to hear it from a civilian standpoint, you know, but um, yeah. And, and the people that are there, you know, it's always great to make friends and find out right away from someone who's got more boots on the ground time than you do and ask them those questions. But um, it's extremely important, you know, when you're trying to take those crosshairs off you and hopefully have them divert to somebody else. You know, it's not ideal that it'd be another American or family member, but you want it to at least get off of you for the time being. You know, and then you can relay that information to your family. You know, um, I always tell my kids whenever we stop, you know, arrivals and departures are always a big deal in executive protection and PSD. You know, um, John Korea does the what's he called? Um, um, transitional space. Transitional space, right? So, um, but that's the same thing in executive protection or PSD, right? And so I always tell my kids, you know, if you're on your your iPad or whatever. Hey, we're getting ready to stop. We're pulling in the parking lot. You got to stop. Not you got to stop looking at that stuff. Well, before we stop, you know, and my kid is starting, you know, at nine years old, he's starting to see like, Hey, I go, what do you see? And he goes, that guy sitting over there, dad, like very good. You know? And then I'll ask him why he's not always able to explain why, but at least I know that he's starting to understand what a transitional space is. But um, those, those are extremely, extremely important, you know, arrivals and departures or transitional space, whatever we call it. Um, but I, I think that time and time again, you know, that, that's the other thing is, you know, finding out where the majority of these, you know, assaults, attacks, crimes, or whatever they may be are happening. And they're going to be different everywhere you go. You know, sometimes they're going to, you know, be more on, uh, you know, uh, they, they may even, even change based on time where you're at, but you know, each place is going to be slightly, not slightly, but sometimes majorly different, you know? One outstanding thing that has helped me in my career, which I did not know it would serve me well, which um, from a first, like, let's check a box. Like what is something that if uh, somebody listening to the podcast now would like, she like, Hey, what kind of skill set should I start developing? So I can start understanding attack cycles. So I can start seeing things that I need to see and find out the uncommonalities. Uh, surveillance and counter-surveillance. It's, it's, it, it's very peculiar. You can even have some fun with it. Um, your wife is running errands on a Saturday. How close can you get? How far away can you be and still detail everything that she's doing and not get caught? Um, it could be a game like that. Um, 
Steve Collins, Black Ice. Um, I used to do a lot of surveillance work with Steve, a former plank owner, and he's always had a good reputation in the industry. Um, his gift for surveillance and counter surveillance is like I, nothing I've ever seen. Um, he was the one to actually help me develop protective surveillance, which is considered by many the pinnacle of the industry. That's the skill. You're there and you're not there. Um, and um, but that's what I, I that's the first thing I would actually tell people. That's the first thing I would actually tell my kids as well. It's like if somebody wanted to watch you, where would be the best place for them to do it? And of course, they're looking out the windows and they're doing stuff like that. I would stand right there because I could see anyone and everyone from right there. I was like, oh, very interesting. Hey, I'm opening them up to see things. Um, uh, it, if that makes any sense, you know, looking just past the people. Um, I would play games with my kids, such as as we're watching the show, don't watch the stars in the front, watch the people in the back. What, tell me what they're doing back there. And then you, it, it, it's an amazing thing. It really is. Um, turn the volume off. You will see things going on in a scene you never thought possible in a movie or a TV show. Turn the volume off because now the other sense is just tuned in. You're like, oh, that guy is wearing a wristwatch. This is a this is a caveman show. He shouldn't be wearing a wristwatch. You know, my kids would actually start seeing that. Of course, I'm sort of feeling like a proud father, you know, and and that sort of thing. Um, but we had to make a game of it. Does that make sense? When I had to talk to my kids about it. You know, we had to have some fun with it. You know, um, remember you guys sitting in the station wagon on those long vacations? Um, we'd have to pay punch buggy or something like that. And, uh, it, those little things actually paid off. I personally think, um, but we, um, are seasoned. We've been a lot of places, done a lot of things. So seeing, um, furtive movements, watching somebody do exactly what I did right there, that actually told him, him and him three different things. Right? That actually spoke to them. We, we don't even have to talk. Uh, uh, we know that a team that you're working with has um, that cohesion when they're not on the radio 24 seven. They can tell by just looking at each other, what the other person's gonna do, what they saw, what they think, what they this, what they that. Does that make sense guys? Um, but that's what I would actually like to communicate first to actually the, the people that are out there, surveillance and counter surveillance. Actually, yeah. what does this actually look like? Seeing past things just a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you bring that up about that standing in that that position because um, I was asked to come out and uh, help teach a uh, executive protection course for a big name security company. Um, and they were doing surveillance, counter surveillance. And the, the head guy had um, technology like you wouldn't believe. He had all mm -hmm. these maps and he was showing me all their, you know, their places where they're teaching their folks to do surveillance and the protective teams to do this and that. And I'm um, like, well, okay, where's your counter surveillance points? And they were the same points as the surveillance. And I'm like, do, do you not see the issue or problem here, dude? Like your guys are going to run into each other. And he's like, well, not if they're good. And I'm like, well, you know, and you're, if you're in a place where, you know, like Haiti and you see two white guys in a restaurant, you know, staring out the window, they're going to notice each other. You know, one's going to go, Hey, I think he's surveillance. And the other's going to go, I think he's counter surveillance, you know, <laughs> so I, you know, as you pointed out in that position where you can see, you don't necessarily, you're not looking for the person that be, that's being surveilled. You're, you're attempting to see where the surveillance is going to be. And, and people lose sight of that because I think the, you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about those games is that's the practical application. And when you do things in practical application, it, a lot of times 
finds those gaps that people talk about in theory, you know? Yeah. You know, I think that there's something going on that we who are, I'm going to guess everyone's at least over 40. Um, Aaron's my, the only one that I'm not exactly, not exactly sure. He, he, he could be, he could, he could be a late, uh, late thirties. Um, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Though interacting with the younger generation and seeing how dependent they are on little electronic devices, I wonder, and I bring up to officers, how's your people, how's your people watching? What do you, when you do that, actually, I'm going to take a couple steps back from there. How many of these people, and this includes also, if you're listening, consider this, how much are you completely stuck in your own bubble and your own existence? How much are you watching everything around you? If something happens in front of you, can you pick out and say, that is out of the ordinary? Uh, I worked at electronic stores, my part-time job, uh, because we're, you know, working as a cop doesn't make any money. So you need at least two jobs. So I was working at Best Buy. I would help in electronics. And here in Utah, open carry is kind of a big thing. And uh, actually it's not, but it happens. Um, And one of the things that we would play, some of us would play a game is how close can we get to these people that are open carrying without them noticing us? And some people would be vigilant. They'd be, they'd spot us before we get to them. Some would be completely uh, condition white, completely oblivious to everything. Um, But I, I think for a lot of people, the importance of putting down electronics, pay attention to your surroundings. Yeah, that's super important. But to have that baseline as to recognizing, okay, this is out of the ordinary or this is ordinary um, is super, super important. Um, dealing with, uh, and again, dealing with, or being a cop, dealing with all kinds of people, seeing different behaviors and going this, there's something wrong with this person. This is outside the ordinary. My, my radar, something's going off here versus talking to grandma or whatever. And yeah, everything's fine. No problems. But seeing those verbal or those, those nonverbal cues, picking up on it and starting to analyze a lot of times we see stuff. And I'm preaching to the choir right now. A lot of times we see stuff and something's pinging and I can't put my finger on it. When that happens, I need to pay closer attention and, and not just disregard that and not just go, yeah, whatever. I uh, went to the mall with my uh, wife and daughter a couple of years ago and I saw a, a pattern in behavior with multiple males uh, that are mid 20s and they were scattered throughout the mall. And I thought, okay, this is there's something wrong here. Something, nothing happened, but just, I saw some patterns happening and I immediately thought, okay, I don't, I don't feel comfortable here right now. There's something not right. And I brought, brought it to my wife's attention and just said, Hey, you know, just so, just so you know, if we're going to take off now's a good time. Um, let's go, let's, let's take this route instead. But yeah, people watching getting to know what the, what the norms are. And that's, and this also goes with uh, having lived, lived overseas, getting used to the, the social norms with that uh, as an American moving over to Germany, first couple of days, completely bizarre. And I absolutely, absolutely. I was a fish out of water, but after a couple of months, having a better idea of this is, this is what our pattern is. This is, we have, yeah, we have bigger lunches than we do breakfasts or dinners, like that, that, weird little social things. But yeah, establishing that baseline of what this is what normal behavior is. 
remove yourself from the phone and people watch. Cause I don't know. I don't know if people do that anymore. Hey Matt, you mentioned, uh, I'll, I'll take the, uh, the technology piece uh, kind of in a different direction. Something I, I noticed before in the past as well. And it's, it's that over-reliance on technology, right? So how many people can, uh, you know, get in their car and go somewhere, you know, have, have looked at a route or something to get somewhere where they're going to go before they get in the car or pl just plug it into their phone or GPS and just go where the GPS tells you. Right. Um, I, I real, you know, real example. And, and this is, this is not to, to dig on, on the people involved, but um, doing some training once uh, with some, some tier one guys that, that were doing some protection training with them. And, and, I was coaching some of them in the lead car for the motorcade and we get in the vehicle, we get ready to go protectees coming down, uh, protectee. And this is just in training, but still, you know, the point's the same because this, this happened protectee gets in the vehicle and, uh, okay, are we, are we going to go? Why are we, why are we still sitting here? And it was because these guys that had become so over-reliant on technology that, uh, the laptop crashed. And the laptop was running Falcon View. And, uh, and that was the only map reference that they had was Falcon View. Um, and this was a number of years ago. So this was, you know, a, it was still easy to find a, a road atlas, you know, to, to, to grab and, and keep in the vehicle or whatever. And, uh, and we sat there for a while. And it's like, hey, what's going on? Like, I, it, it's not, you know, laptop won't come up. Can't get Falcon View up. I, I can't, can't. I was like, okay, here's a learning point for you you got to be prepared for these things and you got to have enough awareness before you even leave as to where you're going, what your routes are and everything so that you don't have a situation where you're now committed to something, something goes sideways and now you don't know what the other options are. Right. So that over-reliance on, uh, on technology to the point where it, it, maybe you can't function without it kind of thing, you know, it, it just, even if you were to look at a route before you get in the car, and you're somewhat familiar, you know, okay, yeah, all right, the GPS crapped out on me, uh, but I, I know generally where I'm going, or I kind of know what's what's there, and, you know, what's what's in that area or something like that, uh, you know, goes goes a long way, other than just relying on something, and then at it, it, the most inopportune time, stops working on you. You know, though, that, that can be completely associated to real-world, everyday husband and wife stuff. Okay, we're going to go to the city. We're going to go see a show. We're in a part of the part of town. We're not overly familiar with something happens. Okay. We want to go now, or I don't, I don't, there's a, there's a group of people over here. We just got to go, uh, or we're leaving. We're, we need to go from point A from, from point A to point B, leaving the theater, going to the parking area. These are real things already have to have this mapped out in our head and Mike. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Aaron hit the nail on the head because now we're starting to see articles out there where they're talking about overuse of the GPS and the smartphone and the cameras in your car to back up negatively affect your spatial awareness that you use for your natural navigation. And so, um, I, I mean, I, I would have never believed that, you know, if I hadn't started reading more about these, you know, these articles, because I like to embrace technology, you know, 
Um, and I like to use them and I'm like, you know, Hey, there's nothing wrong with having them run in the background, but the reality of it is, is that now I'm seeing it, you know, I'm, 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 you know, for me as an older person, who's used to using maps, I'm like, Oh, I can get by, but these younger guys who know no other method or means. And then now I'm like wondering, like, how bad has this affected my spatial awareness? You know I mean? And, or, you know, my spatial memory to be able to, 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 properly navigate myself and you know it's it's making me turn that phone off and not use the uh the navigation unless i absolutely have to but yeah i wanted to ask kurt something really quick because i know he's had a very varied career what is your pace when it comes to communications and mobility because i know it has to change all the time uh along the common thread that mike just actually brought up right there uh really it it depends on where I am and why I'm there. Uh, what, what is the mission that I'm performing? Because, uh, you know, it, it might go from SATCOM to uh, SATCOM radio to Iridium to local phone to runner. But, um, you know, under a different circumstance, uh, it might be U.S. cell phone to foreign cell phone to face-to-face. Um, so really it's... A, always and this goes to the route planning thing is having that pace plan and understanding you know what it is that i'm doing what assets i have available to me uh you know my my communications now i'm i I manage several training teams uh working throughout asia uh so my communication with them is uh you know first via email then during uh using u.s cell phone uh, to chat programs, something like WhatsApp or Line, to uh, you know, contacting uh, the U.S. soft that's co-located with them. Uh, so uh, you know, all of those things come into play. But uh, you know, I have to understand what's available, where they are, and what what they're going to have. Uh, because we're civilians working with the military, I'm, I don't have all the military communications gear. So um, you know, that limits what I have available to me. That's the reason I wanted to bring that up is um, because I know you've had to dig deep um, just to share, share a, a side story. Um, so we're probably about 11,000 feet up um, and it is snowing in the jungle. Um, and yes, that actually does happen in some places, especially when you're only 10 degrees off the equator. But the only communication that actually worked for us was a dating app called Badu. We say grinding. We wondered why the TNE. And so right. yeah, exactly. We we wonder why why are they all on Badu? They're looking for dates while we're out here in the jungle. And I'm like, what in the world? No, for some reason or another, that worked when nothing else did. And the only way you can actually explore that and find that out for yourself is you have to like what Aaron said and what Mike said. You got to get in the culture. You have to actually get in and actually accept that what this culture is telling you is what it's actually telling you. Um, if you were a commodities trader, you have to do exactly what the market's telling you. You can't go against the market. So I'm going with that flow because it actually serves the ultimate purpose the, and the mission goal. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask yeah. you about that, Kurt, because I know you, 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 you move around and you've had to do different things different ways. So thank you. Bye. I, I also want to say, talk about the use of paper maps. Uh, I, I work with active duty U.S. soft right now, 
um, as part of my job. And uh, it's an issue at training new U.S. soft members in map reading skills uh, because they are so over-reliant on GPS uh, in their conventional, because, you know, they, they will serve time in conventional before they go through their soft training. Uh, they are so over-reliant on technology for some things that getting them to be able to read map and compass and be able to use those to navigate it is an issue. Um, and uh, another map thing, the, if you're familiar with Pat McNamara, one of the video series he does on YouTube is be the agent in charge of your own executive protection detail. Yeah. That's one of the things he talked about is having a, a paper map of the state you're in and all the surrounding states. Uh, and then city maps of the major cities in those states. So if, if you're there and you don't have GPS or your phone stops working or your phone gets stolen, that you, you can fall back on those things to be able to get through them. Crazy enough, uh, it's getting harder and harder to find those map books, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, doing training and we were, you know, we used to order those ADC maps. Remember those? And next thing you know we're photocopying them you know um uh, but yeah they're they're difficult to find you know um but definitely and uh, two uh, two other things that just popped in that tie together you talk about the use of cell phones and how people are unaware because they're so tied into their technology uh and then finding the cultural norms where you are i, I watched the first like 10 15 minutes of the local news um I kind of speak the language, but not as fluently as I would like. And definitely news, uh, you know, watching a newscast is well above my fluency level. But just the, you know, any major story is going to be in the, the first couple minutes of the news. So I watch to see what's happening in the country, even if I don't understand the words. Uh, one of the things that was on yesterday or the day before yesterday, uh, a girl got pushed into her room and raped and she was she came out of the elevator with her phone in front of her face watching her tiktok video and walked to her room in the building where she lived well as she got out of the elevator a guy followed her out of the elevator and was literally a step behind her all the way to her door and she never noticed him and as soon as she opened her door he pushed her inside and then that's where the rape occurred um just that you know, look, looking around you every once in a while as, as you're moving to see what's happening uh, and not having your face buried in that phone all the time is, you know, can, can pay huge dividends or, or not. It, like we've been talking about a number of times, situational awareness. I mean, it really is key to, to, to a lot of the stuff. I mean, the, the other thing, though, is that, you know, we have to, you know, you know, not only embrace technology, but realize that. Uh, the different generation coming up. And, and I want to point this out though, is that the, the generation is different. A lot of folks our age seem to criticize them. Yeah. Not was, bad. It's right, different, different. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I see it. I see a lot of these younger guys out there and gals who are on their smartphones, but they're doing it the right way. You know, they do it before they drive or they stand against the wall. Then they start looking at their phone. And if they're out in public and they got their back against the wall, they don't walk with their phone, you know, texting and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it's good to see them doing that. Um, and it's also something that I'm, I'm huge with on, on my kids. It's like, Hey, 
do not walk and look at that, that iPad. You have to, you stop and then, you know, but there, that point from A to B, you are not looking at that thing. And, uh, you know, he'll still regress back to it, but um, they become more used to it than, than of course we are. Um, but I, I think it's important that, that we teach those lessons. Like Kurt was saying, you know, working with these younger folks, we've got to teach them because they don't, they don't intuitively know this stuff, you know? Um, but once they, they catch on, they're, they, they they're, don't intuitively know the limitations of the technology because, uh, if, if you have grown up in the United States, odds are you have in the last, you know, 15 years or 20 years, odds are you've never been without cell reception. So how, how do you work when that cell doesn't work? Uh, if, if you work overseas, it is not uncommon for your cell phone to go out or, you know, to lose cell, uh, cell signal completely throughout a country to be wiped out for a couple of days. Um, in, in the U.S., that's pretty darn rare. Um, so un understanding the limitations of it and then having that backup plan. It, that that's something you have to teach, but then you have to train the backup plan. So if your backup plan is to go to a paper map, you know, where do you get it? And then how do you use it? Uh, you know, all of those skills have to be trained. Um, yeah, te technology is a great tool, but uh, you know, it, it, you definitely don't want to over rely on it. And then you want to use it effectively and prudently. Like, like you were all saying, it, it's, it's got its place and everything. Um, but, but using it properly and prudently, I think is kind of the key. Yeah. I think, the, you know, I've been in multiple countries when every time there was a major incident, a car bomb or something like that in these different countries, the cell services would go down because they would just have it. You know, a lot of other countries, as soon as something like that happens, everybody gets on their phone and starts calling, you know, telling people or trying to catch people. Are you OK? And stuff like that. But, you know, the government's really quick at shutting down those phones and, you know, I'm hanging out with someone from the embassy and they're standing there and they're talking on their phone. I'm like, how is it that you're talking? And they're like, oh, they put me on the, uh, you know, the, the, the list of important people. And because I have to do coordinations, I have cell phone access. And they were saying that there are certain people in that country that are going to have that same access. And there was a couple of things that have happened in the U.S. that people are unaware of that the same type of thing can potentially happen here. You know, law enforcement and uh, government people will be the only ones to be able to communicate. But um, interesting enough, the, my wife went out um, to do some training one time and I couldn't communicate with her. And she was out. They were doing a, like a, a tactical athlete game competition preparation thing. And there were a couple guys from the local PD that were down there. I couldn't communicate with her. So I started calling them same thing. And I was like, huh? So I happened to be good friends with one of their bosses and I called them and they're like, yeah, we, we can't get a hold of them either. Um, and then interesting enough, somebody who was down there, but left early said the, the cell tower down there went out and, and that's Ooh. in the USA. And so, you know, no big deal. She came home. Well, one of my coworkers lived down there and he said that cell tower was out for over a week and it also affected the internet. And that, if, if that were to happen nationwide, can you imagine something like that? Um, I, it, yeah. I, I was in Bangladesh several years ago and uh, Bangladesh gets its internet from a single sea cable uh, and a ship anchor <laughs> tore the sea cable off the ground. So internet went to... Uh, you could still get on, but it was at crawl speed. Um, the, the only internet in the country was 
like at the embassies that have their own satellite links. Uh, there, there was no internet available on cell phone or in your hotel or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it, it definitely happens in other places. Uh, personal experience recently, uh, it, I believe there was a wreck and it took out a telephone pole, which wound up being the feed to internet all the way into the next couple cities. So here I am with an almost two-year-old and we can't watch Bluey. And oh. it was horrible. Yeah. I don't know how we survived. And we don't have a DVD. We, yeah. Cause you know, modern technology, we can stream everything. We don't have DVD players anymore. We certainly don't have VHS and we definitely don't have Betamax. Um, how many people, and not that this is the survival because we've actually, we have survival episodes, but for this kind of stuff, what are the, uh, what's the analog versions, board games, stuff like that. Um, how do we apply this then to our, to our own lives? It's the paper maps. All this being said, I think also we've become so accustomed to just reach out and touch someone on a moment's notice. There was a time where we didn't have cell phones and we were perfectly fine. And how were we able to communicate and how were we able to get a hold of people back then? Well, there were pay, there were pay phones on occasion. And sometimes you could call collect and just say your message really quick. I think that's long, long past, but uh, yeah. So, so many cool things that the technology is so awesome, but it's made us, it's made us pretty weak and imagine if, okay, we don't have power. So we don't have power. We don't have the internet. We now can't look up on Google how to start a fire and we can't cook, cook our food because we don't have any books to show us to do that. These are things that we need to think about now. And that goes with our personal security you know, at home, around home, traveling, just going to the store. Mike, did you see my, uh, my chat message? Oh, well, see if I can see if I can use this technology to my advantage. Exactly. Well, I can also put it in the Good luck, chat. Mike. I, I don't I don't have my uh, let me see, see if I can put that. I think the way that you actually rounded that back to the basically the point of the evening, Pat, was that we are in my experience, whether it was uh, all the way to one side or the other when it came to doing protection work, um, the strength of the or the I don't know that I can't find the right word. The, the prowess, the stout, something of that sort of that detail lot relied upon its independence. Um, it was free of obstruction. It didn't rely on an external source. It could rely upon itself. Does that make sense? Um, my wife uh, thinks I'm a prepper. I'm not actually a prepper. I actually enjoy independence. If that makes sense. Um, and that independence allows me so much more flexibility. Um, it, it, it becomes a way of life. I don't have one way of doing something. I've got multiple ways of doing something. Uh, it keeps me from being frustrated and we're just talking personal tasks throughout the day. You know what I mean? Um, if this does not go my way, I know something will actually go my way. Be and, and I'm not looking for that self-sustaining type of, prepping. I have to have my own this, my own that. No, the, I, my pursuit is independence. I don't need my cell phone. I will survive with that. I don't need the internet. I don't need 15 more guys from the local PD to do my advance for me. 
that, that, that sort of thinking, if that, if that makes sense. Now, is that difficult to achieve? You bet your butt it is. Absolutely. Very difficult to achieve. But it is still a skill that I think that everyone needs to hone. It, it, it's, it'll be a constant pursuit. Um, and it still comes full circle, everything that we've discussed this evening already, to what are you going to do to actually explore that and make that happen? Um, you have to make a plan. You have to take that plan to a buddy and say, hey, punch holes in this. What am I forgetting? What am I not considering? What should I do? What should I not do? Um, and then try to chip away at that plan on how much it, it depends upon external sources. Um, I know that, uh, let me see. So Mike will remember this, and I know you guys remember it too. A long time ago, uh, a guy named Dave Jackson of Blackwater, we're doing some training. We're doing a spin up. This is, I don't know, four or 500 years ago. And he pops his head in the door and he says, hey, I need four guys who want to be a biker gang in the desert. Come with me now. And I'm like, well, that's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, he actually meant it. And he coined this particular phrase called combat PSD. He says, okay, so I go outside because I'm not cool and I want to be cool. So I go outside acting like I'm cool like the rest of the guys. He goes, no, really, it's combat PSD. You're on your own. If you don't make it happen, you're done. And these guys just kind of looked at each other and he says, follow me if you're in. Um, that was actually a defining moment for me. I'm like, holy shit, there's so much more I need to do. There's so much more I need to learn. I don't know much and I need to figure out more. Even though I, I felt myself kind of accomplished in my career already, there was so much more to pursue. Holy cow, was there so much more to pursue. Um, but I it never got away from that threat of independence. We can do this. We don't need others. Um, I can make this happen. Um, I know that Mike, without letting too many things go, has worked on a clandestine level higher than mine, okay, where he is the only one. If he doesn't make it happen, it won't happen. Um, that means that we have to tune in on a completely different level. Um, it doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us greater. It actually makes us a little bit more odd because we have to consider things, well, that we never thought that we would consider. The kind of thing that a, uh, a man and wife and family going to the mall on a Saturday, you wouldn't consider. We actually have to consider the weird things, the odd things. Um, and I'm actually learning a whole, I'm, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I've been making notes. I've been stealing from you. So I actually look cooler than I really am next time I get on a podcast. Um, but it still comes down to the individual has to act. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we talk about actions. I think that's important. Um, and there's so many things that, uh, that we can do to prevent ourselves from being the victim uh, just by the way we act. But there's also other things, you know, that one, you know, through proper research, I think that it's important to point out that, you know, we could just be a victim regardless of what we're doing by being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So knowing, you know, places or locations that are bad to hang out uh, for the criminal side, or maybe places that would potentially be targeted by terrorists, you would want to stay away from. Um, and then, you know, same thing with associating with the wrong people, you know, uh, if we're associating with rich people, then their wealth could be, um, say, transferred, you know, to us just by 
by the thought process or perception of the, the, the terrorist or the criminal. And then of course, you know, that target of opportunity where we, I think have more control over that because we're trying to not blend or trying to blend in and not be that American, you know? Um, but um, I would say uh, that right there would be a good opportunity to talk about things that we could potentially do. And I know each of you probably have certain things that you do when you get there, but what are some things that you do that um, would help you not become a victim uh, by ways that would normally identify you as a, as an American? What would, um, like if you're traveling or in a foreign country, what are things that Americans typically do that you purposely stay away from? Uh Mike, kind of, you kind of alluded to some of it a little bit uh, already. Is the uh, you know knowing where you're at, what's going on in certain places, what what are the higher areas with higher threats? What are, what are the places where all the Americans go? Because quite honestly, I, I don't want to go there, right? I mean, I want to mm. avoid the situation if at all possible before having to fight my way out of something. If at all possible, your best best option is to always just avoid the situation to begin with. Um, and, and part of that is, is that research, like you mentioned, finding out what are the popular places, what big tourist, you know, things that, that you know, everybody goes to the same restaurant, right? And, and, and have, has it been a target before? Um, is this a seedy area? And some people like to go to it because, hey, this thing's really neat or it's kind of trendy, I've heard, or whatever. Well, guess what? If it's in a seedy area, and you're putting yourself there, you're putting yourself more at risk. So it's, you know, looking at those things and trying to determine, you know, is this a place that I can feel confident in going to, or do I really need to be cautious about going to it? And it's, it's that preparation and that, uh, you know, that research ahead of time, that, that, that kind of stuff. It's the, the, the Starbucks across from the embassy. If you, if you want to kill Americans, blow that up. Uh, I, I would echo that. I, I've got to hop off. So uh, I'll, I'll give my answer and then I've got to uh, depart for work um, that that prior, you know, do, doing your research before you get there uh, to understand as much as you can about the place. And then the, the, the old adage about stupid going with stupid people to stupid places at stupid times, uh, avoid that. So, you know, figure out where are, where the danger areas are, where, where attacks and, and local crime happen or crimes of opportunity and just avoid those places. And, uh, you know, nothing good happens after 2 AM. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of fun sometimes to go out and hit, you know, hit the, hit the clubs or do whatever, but realize that that's also when a lot of crime opportunity happens of, of people leaving bars because drunk people make good targets. Uh, with that, I got to run guys. Thank you. It's been enjoyable. Uh, Have a good one, Kurt. Yep. Thank you, Kurt. My always pleasure. Good, always good seeing you again, brother. Yep. Take care guys. All right. Thank one you. wrap up point that I would like to make, and then you guys can have at it is that, the largest man-made disaster that killed more people in one fell swoop at any time was not a gun or a bomb. It was a truck. And it was Bastille Day in Southern France. You just happened to be standing there next to some locals that you had just met and you were having the greatest time of your life. Everybody's just having a few beers, you're enjoying Bastille Day and a tractor trailer decided to start plowing down the street. Yep.
Yeah. People forget it's not always a gun. It's not always an earthquake. It's not always they're coming after you. You just happen to be there. And so does that mean that when I want to go condition white and I want to go what, what I call condition margarita, and I want to let my hair down and I want to put my feet up and I want to drop all security. Does that mean that every place I go, I'm only going to enjoy it 95%? Yeah, it does. Does it suck? Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. There's nothing I would like more than to actually just let my hair down and just let it go. And I can't, um, not because I have some sort of, you know, thing inside of me. No, no, nothing crazy like that. No, it's because um, I'm beholden to others, uh, whether it be a client, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a child, um, whether it be people that depend on you to actually do what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Take care of yourself and get back to the place and all that good stuff. But, um, but yeah, there, the, and I brought it up several times already, but I, I like the fact that his particular outline with that Mike has is they spend eight hours basically impressing on you on day one. This is worth a shit. They're going to repeat it over and over and over again because it works because we will turn a blind eye to it. We will think, Oh no, not me, not here, not now. No, no. That happens to other people, other places. No, that's not true. I wish it was true. Believe me, I wish it was true. Um, but that said, I'll let you guys conclude. Thank you. Uh, no, I, I think that's, you know, hundred um, percent. Am I talking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I think that's important that we realize that those areas are targets of opportunity um, and they're mandated by, you know, ISIS. If you look at some of their, their writings and their magazines, open source publications and stuff like that, where they say to attack those types of places. So it's not uncommon for us to know that and be aware of it and not let our guard down when we're in those types of locations. I think that's uh, extremely important. Um, but I mean, there's tons of things that we are, you know, constantly doing. Um, I, I know, like, for example, when, you know, years ago, when I was at Fort Bragg, you know, they required us to have the Department of Defense and the Fort Bragg uh, label on the front of our cars. And it was just like, dude, you're telling everybody out there that I have some gear in my trunk because I can't go anywhere without it to do ruck marches and stuff like that. And it's just like, then that's whose cars got broken into. And, uh, you know, for a while there, I was placing that on uh, plexiglass and putting it in the front there. And then one time the, 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 you know, they caught me and they said, Hey, you have to have that on your window. And I, you know, no matter how many times I said it, they, they just didn't care. And, you know, now, you know, we see that, you, you know, the department of defense has realized that it's a bad thing to do is have any kind of identification on your personal vehicle that you are a service member or something like that. And even though the department of defense has realized that, you know, Joe hasn't. So he drives around with all of his stickers on his vehicles and stuff like that. Um, overseas, you know, we had cars that had diplomatic um, signature, basically all written all over them and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we would take those plates off um, and, you know, have official or normal looking plates put on there. Um, and then we would always pull them out after we got pulled over or something like that. But, um, and, and the same thing, you see it in the airport, you see, uh, you know, 
20 kids in a band going overseas for competition and they're all throwing their blue passport around checking it out well what's yours look like and just being extremely loud and it's like you know kids will be kids but that's you know pointing out to everybody there that they're they're americans which are potentially targets in those overseas areas you know um but just little stuff like we talked about cell phones you know um a lot of times you know, other countries, the iPhone is not the end all be all, um, mainly because they don't have them there, you know? Um, so if you've got a cell phone that's different than everyone else's, that's an indicator too, you know? Um, but there's, there's tons of things that we can do while we're traveling to, you know, mitigate our exposure as Americans or mitigate our potential for attack by, you know, not walking around with these things, you know, I mean, a businessman, a well-to-do businessman is going to walk around with a cell phone and a, and a briefcase, you know, and that's a potential target, you know, um, you're seeing more and more folks start, start to realize that, especially in the urban cities where they're not walking around with briefcases and they've got little backpacks instead. Um, but, you know, if you've got a briefcase, you know, it's potential there's a laptop in there. If you got one of those messenger bags that's big enough for a laptop, then it's potential that you have something like that in there. And, you know, there's, there's just those little things like that, that we can do uh, while traveling or just in those areas that can, that we can do to reduce that, that signature, you know, um, but, but Americans, from what I've seen, especially if they travel in groups of two or more tend to be loud, you know, um, and uh, unless of course, you know, they're, they're trained, but in general, you know, they, uh, they, they tend to be loud if they travel in groups and, you know, if you're going to travel in a group, you know, it's like having, instead of one target, now I've got three or four, you know, uh, but uh, I think that's some of the major things that I would say when it comes to like traveling, uh, when you're actually there, uh, even in the States, we're seeing a lot of folks up in the Houston area, which is only a couple hours away. We're seeing it here in, in the city that I live in right now is you're starting to see folks go to banks, withdraw cash, and if they take large sums of money out, they're being followed. People are, you know, are casing banks, waiting for folks to come out with what looks to be like a bag that maybe has more than a than hundred bucks in it, more than a thousand bucks, and they're following them, you know. And uh, you know, like Shannon said, you know, um, you can get right up on people, and they'll never know. Um, there was a, a surveillance video out of Houston where the guy said, I, I thought I was being followed <laughs> and he was, you know, the guys, he like admitted, like, I, I thought I was being, I felt like I was being followed by that car, you know, and he, he, but he didn't have a plan. He didn't have a course or an action to do anything. And of course they just, they took that bag of money from him, you know, um, but you know, it may not be that you have a bag of money. It could be the perception, you know, uh, your wife goes to the, to the bank and takes out, you know, maybe 20 bucks or something like that at the teller, but she's got her purse and, you know, she shoves something in there. And next thing you know, they, they, Oh, well, that looked like a bunch of money. No, nah, it was just dirty used napkins from the kids, you know? Um, but that perception is also reality to, to the bad guy. So, I mean, there's, there's tons of things that we can do by our actions, um, you know, when it comes to individual protective measures, you know, as, as far as what we do, uh, routines, you know, um, you know, here in the States, I think, especially as opposed to when we're overseas, I know a lot of us, 
myself included, um, more of a creature, a habit at home. Whereas, you know, we would constantly teach folks that they need to vary their routines because if you're varying your routines, it makes it that much harder during that planning process of the bad guy to come up with a plan because they, they don't know what you're going to do because you've varied your routines. Um, but it was amazing to me that, um, you, you have a ton of folks, even overseas, that are there bright or early or, you know, 10 minutes late every day. Um, and, you know, Americans are big on that time. we got to be there at this time and this, we have this habit. And, and that tends to make it so much easier for the bad guy, you know, when they're, when they're looking out for us. Um, but it, I'm sure there's more that you guys could probably add to that in reference to, uh, you know, um, routines and stuff. Yeah, Mike, Mike, you hit the nail right on the head there with the you know time and place predictability. I mean, we, we preach it all the time, right? And and it and it really does matter. Um, and then and then you couple that with those transitional zones, arrivals, departures, choke points. You know, it, it all comes into play. Uh, you know, you you're talking about you know the, the the professional terms and everything, but you know that all comes into play if 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 you're known to be at certain places at certain times with some regularity, it's much easier to target you, to surveil you, to do all that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you're making yourself a pretty easy target. Um, and then, and then the question is, do you, do you alter that? Are you aware enough to catch that, that somebody's watching you at those points? Uh, you know, those are all considerations there that, that if you maybe haven't thought about it or haven't had any training or experience or anything, you, you might not even think about those things. You might not even realize you're being time and place predictable. And although in your daily life, that may not matter. Um, but when you're traveling, it could be. Um, when you're working somewhere overseas or you're traveling even here somewhere in the U.S., you know, to a place, at, at, you know, a touristy area that you don't usually go to, uh, you know, that, that you know bad guys are sitting there could be just regular running the mill criminals are watching and, and they've watched you now for a couple of days and they you're always at this one place every time and you're never paying attention that's uh you know you could be setting yourself up without even realizing that you're doing it yeah you know it's it's funny because uh when i worked at the anti-terrorism training detachment there uh one of the senior guys had a, a, a relate a funny story where i believe it was greece where they had a, a an attack on some americans there and um, there was a service member after they'd caught the bad guys and they said that they were going to attack this air force guy. And, uh, but they said he was too aware because he was always searching his car for car bombs, you know? And so they went out <laughs> debrief this guy and uh, you know, they're like, Hey, yeah, you've been through some training we heard and you were always checking your car for car bombs. And he's like, no, nah, dude. He goes, I had uh, repaired an oil leak by my, myself and my wife had said that, you know, it was going to eventually drip. And so every time he got in the car and every time he stopped the car, he would look around to see if there was any oil. But that perception to the bad guy was he was aware, you know, yeah. and so that's the habits, the good habits we want people to get into is to do stuff like, you know, like that to look aware where they potentially take the target off of you. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we tend to do the opposite and when we pick up the bad habits and make them routine and the good habits aren't routine. <laughs> yeah, that is a fantastic story because that's something we actually worked with at fact. And 
he would every morning look underneath his vehicle because he's looking for that oil leak. Right. And he loved his car. He was always like cleaning it. I, the 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 story lends itself to that. It was a it was a sports car that he loved. Um, he would run to the end of his driveway and he'd look left. And he'd look right because he wanted to see how many cars were at the stoplight because he could get free oil at the embassy. Yeah. So there is a reason why he did what he did. And of course, the bad guys the entire time are like he is switched on. So literally, once again, we are circling right back around to what are you communicating? What, and you're not even saying a word. That's the best part about it. It's your actions. Yeah. Once again, yeah. it's your actions. What are you communicating to the outside world? It, 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 it's 100% your actions. Um, according to my wife, the most powerful things that have ever been said were never uttered with one word. Mm. Yeah. No, actions. Oh. I'll date myself here a little bit, and I think, and you guys will get it. Um, I, you know it, that that kind of stumbling into success uh, that, that can happen sometimes. You know the the perceptions. Um, I'll, I'll just refer to that as the Inspector Clouseau method. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes no matter what's going on, you, you just you, you stumble into success sometimes, and it works out for you. I mean, you can't count oh, on it, but, uh, but but you know, sometimes that perception works for your works for your advantage, even that's if that's not what the case is. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's no doubt. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we, we talk about a lot of this, uh, you know, awareness, uh, you know, things that we can do to, you know, prevent ourselves or family members to be attacked. But, you know, I, I think one of the more important things is we need to take that awareness and along with awareness, get training in driving. I can't, I can't express enough to folks how important having some kind of driving awareness and training really, really is because, you know, we're seeing more and more vehicular type of attacks, people at stoplights and, you know, in traffic. Um, and it's interesting to see some of these videos coming out from, uh, I, I can't remember which country it was. It's a Latin American country um, where there's, there, there seems to be like on curves going up to the highways they'll stop, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen a couple of those videos. Is it, I don't know if it's, it's in Argentina or Chile. I, I can't recall, but the, you know, they're, they're having, you know, a, a ton of economic oppression right now. And uh, so people are attacking each other left and right there. And, and South Africa is another good place where they have a lot of, the, yeah. a lot of these, but it's yeah. interesting to see the cultural differences there is that they're using the vehicles as weapons, you know? And so people are not taking it anymore and they're ramming their way out because they've learned the hard way that, that nine times out of 10, that's the only way to survive. Whereas, you know, here in the States, somebody pulls a gun and somebody's in a car and they're just like, you know, I couldn't do anything. Well, you could have drove away. You could have ran over them, you know, um, but we, we just don't see that. Um, and just being pushed off the road, you know, um, you know, these people that are, you know, being pushed off the road and kidnapped, you know, typically a young college student that's on their own and, you know, someone drives by and they say, Hey, I want that person. Um, you know, if they knew how to counter pit or to pit somebody yeah. else, it would have just saved their lives. So um, I, I think that, you know, any type of training out there, you know, BSR, I know has uh, courses like that still. ITI was doing it. we got a place down here called The Ranch. They do that type mm -hmm. of training, but and that, that training is available for civilians, you know, um, 
And I, and I especially think it's important for teenagers because of the awareness that they learn. Um, but um, in regards to, you know, being your own bodyguard, I mean, that, I think that's huge. And that's one of the first things I did with my wife when I brought her here to the States where I had her get that kind of training. What do you guys think? What do you guys think about stateside? The attire people decide to wear. So me, I try not to have anything showing police. I don't have anything associated with a gun. I don't have anything that screams. I'm not wearing a five uh, eleven uh, tracksuit because people that have been arrested might notice. Hey, you know what? The cops are wearing this one brand. And they're the only ones I ever see wearing that brand. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I think I relate. I think I relate. Personally, I just stopped being a cool guy. I stopped. I no more cool guy. No tat sleeves. No um, just boats and hose. Boats and hose. Well, exactly. Um, I am not worth robbing. I don't have any money. I'm not worth your time. If you're state sponsored, and I happen to be in London, I'm not worth following. I'm nobody. Um. And a lot of that has to do with my age, probably. But uh, um, I drive a 2013 Forerunner, even though I can afford better. You know, um, I'm I'm not worth your time. You, you're not going to get what you want from me. It's I'm I'm nobody. I gave up on cool guy a long time ago. Maybe it came out of necessity. I don't know. Maybe it came out of age. Um, but. I realized that, and of course, this is probably another podcast topic for another day. Um, and you guys know what I'm talking about. But um, I realized that I was, so there's being seen and being noticed. Everyone is seen, but not everyone is noticed. I am not noticed anymore. They don't even know I'm there. And that is kind of the point. And it promotes, once again, my independence. It's because they think you're friends, French. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, some sort of Euro trash or something, right? Um, I should probably bathe more. But the uh, the the interesting part, though, is that, um, and, it, and, and it came with time, and it, and it came with experience, and it came with skill, is uh, in a given situation, stopping at a gas station that also has a subway connected to it and, and all that kind of thing, um, I can... Um, and not because I'm some sort of super guy, uh, I can like, okay, that vehicle, that guy, that lady panhandling, and that guy keeps walking back and forth between. Now I know the three things I need to pay attention to. I have through a process of elimination, okay? Um, and if I see those people sizing me up, I know how to, with action, respond as in like, don't come near this form runner that you're not going to get what you want, but everybody else, I'm a schmo. And I never thought I would ever, I swear. And Mike knows me. We've known each other for what, 15 years now. Um, I would never be the person that could see that. And now I have found it to be an easy way of life. And I still get what I want. I'm spoiled if you ask my wife. So yeah, now I think I've relayed uh, this story before on the on the on the podcast someplace else, where uh, myself and another guy we were out at a bar, um, and uh, we were talking. He started talking to the girl next to him, and uh, she was pretty belligerently drunk at this point. But she was like, "You two are fucking pigs." Uh, pardon my language. 
And uh, we're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? She's like, you're cops. And we're like, what do you mean? You know, like we're not wearing anything, you know, remotely pointing to being government, military, police or anything like that. And uh, she pointed out one thing that we both had on and that was really thick leather belts. And to <laughs> her, she was arrested by a police officer who was probably an undercover or detective or something to that nature. And he had a pistol belt on, you know, and that was that thick leather belt. And for whatever reason, that was the one thing that stuck in her head, you know? Um, and it's amazing because, you know, now is like, you know, like the, the new five eleven stuff is really, I mean, it's, it's, it's stepping up their game, you know, don't get me wrong, but there's that little tag that says five eleven, And if, and a lot of people think, oh, this is blending in. And I'm like, you may think it's blending in, but the person that you're trying to fool the most is going to notice that little itty bitty tag, you know? We um, notice it. So, yeah. and if we notice it, why aren't the bad guys? Yeah. Yeah. I ran and into what, a friend. And what, and what can you do with that stuff though, too? Take yeah. it one step further, yeah. trim that tag off, do yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's something that works for you, take some of those things off. If there's a, uh, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a patch from a certain company that's sewn onto a bag or sewn onto a jacket, you know, take, take that patch off or do, do whatever, you know, I mean, if, if that's going to lower the profile a little bit, you know, if that's good enough, then, uh, you know, you can do some of those things. Yeah, no, I, I that's where, you know, I've, um, I actually was talking to the guys from Vertex not long ago and they put all their stuff on the inside and I was like, oh, that's, that's brilliant. And I'm wearing you know, their pants now. Yeah. Because they, they're, they know that. It's like, wow, what a concept, you know? Yeah, um, Velocity did the same thing. They they found a way to actually like make everything just less printable, I guess is a way of putting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the evolution of technology of gear and plates or protective, I, I am completely blown away at the progress that technology has made. You can so lower your print and be so nobody and not worth anyone's time why not make the effort because it will promote your independence you'll be able to go places you never thought you could be able to go there's that comment or that concept again this independence yeah yes dig into that sorry yeah so i i ran into a friend a retired deputy last weekend and i with everyone when i run into people i and even people that i interact with and people i don't i'm assessing constantly looking at everyone saying okay is he are there any clues? Are they tag? Are they pulling at their shirt tails, trying to cover up that they're carrying a gun? Why well, notice on him? He has a sneaky Pete holster on. And if, if you're not familiar with it, look it up. Clearly, that's a gun. Not everyone knows that. And he said, "You're the first person to ever call that out." It's because I know what it is. Yeah. I think this is actually a great time to kind of wrap it up. I don't know what you guys think. But um, we have just scratched the surface, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even yep. gone over like hotels. We haven't really talked about setting you know, up your vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You know, choosing, you know, like if you're moving someplace new, you know, how to pick out a good location to live in. Ideally, you know, once you purchase your house or rent, you know, what are things you can do to you know, to make it more secure. I mean, there's, there's just tons of things. And these are, you know, I mean, surveys that executive protection folks do, you know, um, they're, they're, you know, surveys 
um, and even a pre-existing place, you know, if you've got, all right, it's too late, you've already owned this place, you know, what can I do? And, uh, you know, a, a, a protection agent's going to come in and, and do the same thing that we would teach, you know, these folks going overseas, you know, these are the certain things that you want to do. The great thing is that, you know, uh, the couple of embassies that I've worked out of, I became good friends with some of the, the RSOs and ARSOs. And before they let people live in these houses and these locations, they've already done that work for them, you know, but uh, you know, for the average person that's living in a normal neighborhood in the U S they need to do that, that work themselves. You know, they need to make sure that they have that egress, you know, into the neighborhood um, you know, that they have, you know, the, the right type of throw in the door for the um, for your bolt, you know um, you know, the, the crazy thing is that I changed all the locks out when I moved into the house here because you could smash the window and reach in and turn the, uh, the knob and it would open. And so my wife's like, why are you replacing all these? And I'm like, well, because once we lock the door and we take the key out from the inside, the only way you're getting out is if you grab the key. She's like, what if we lose it? Like, well, we put it close enough that we can see the key, you know, and that's all it takes. But the bad guy's not going to be able to reach his hand in there and grab that key, you know, um, but just just little stuff like that. And, you know, we could go on for days and just, you know talking about interactions with, um, you know, people on the street, you know, what are the common ruses that people do to get your attention, to try to take advantage of you, you know, um, traveling to and from work, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that we talk about for there. Um, and, and, you know, like, uh, like Shannon said, we're just, we're just scratching the very surface, you know, we haven't got into, you know, that stuff, not to mention, you know, um, I, you know, surveillance we really you know we kind of brushed on it um you know the um you know some of the practical exercises like uh shannon was talking about as far as you know getting the kids involved you know you can do that make it a game um you know we talked a little bit about driving just i mean there's all kinds of stuff oh yeah so if i understand you correctly we have future episodes for us to discuss this <laughs> I think this has been absolutely fantastic. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Wonderful discussion. Um, so with that in mind, let me have you guys have, so this is a two-parter final thoughts and plugs. And Aaron, it's acceptable for you to say something about the government because <laughs> you don't have a, you don't really have a company to say, yeah, go actually you probably do. You probably could say go by Aimpoint or something. So, Mike, take it away. Final thoughts and plugs. Uh, I think regardless, you know, um, I think that it's important that everybody gets some kind of training, um, you know, driver's training, not just firearms training. But I think that it would not be a bad idea for people to get, you know, these awareness type classes and you know, there's plenty of people out there teaching bodyguard courses. You don't have to agree or disagree with the tactics they're using as far as, you know, formations. The goal is to go there to learn the awareness part that they're teaching about surveys, route planning, and all the other stuff. I think that's probably the most important thing. And, and you know, it's going to cost a pretty penny, but I think it's worth it. And then, you know, a family member goes and comes back and, you know, can, you know, basically retrain the rest of the family. Um but uh, plug, I would say, you know, look up, you know, our stuff online, Green Ops. It's green-ops-ops.com is the main site. We're on Facebook, IG. I think we even have Twitter. 
I have to ask the boss, but um, yeah, we're, we're out there. Uh, we, we offer all kinds of classes. Our primary right now are firearms, but we're getting more into classes like this. Uh, and most of those are on request, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's great. I, I appreciate you having me back on. I, I suspect, as a matter of fact, I would not be at all surprised if you do get people reaching out to you after this goes live or gets published that people say, tell me more. I want to take a class. I want to host you. Um, because that's the way this kind of stuff works. Nice. Shannon. Uh, final thoughts. Um, so we talk about what to look for. So I think it's actually very important to be specific. What do I want you to look for? So the difficult part is always the, how do I create a process of elimination? I can't look at 10,000 people at once. I can't look at 20,000 hands at once and that sort of thing. That is actually going to come, and I hate to say this, but it's true. It's going to come through experience. Now, are there things that we can actually do? That, that, that goofy little thing that I brought up about actually turning the volume off on the TV and then you and the family predicting what the conversation is and why they're having the conversation and then turn the volume back up 20 minutes later to see if it's true. That actually starts instilling a confidence. And yes, I'm actually seeing what I'm seeing. I'm actually interpreting what I need to do in territory. So little things like that actually pay off. Um, pursue training. Holy cow, pursue training. Um, there's always another guy teaching a gun course. That's fantastic. Um, I'm an avid competitor. As you can tell I have the Dylan 1050 with an ammo bot in the rear here. You know, not a shameless plug. I just, uh, I like to load my own because I'm a gamer. Hate me for it. Um, You're going to get killed in the streets. Oh, it's, it's the truth. I'm, I'm as good as dead. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> um, the, so with that final point, uh, start looking deeper, look, look past the person that's in front of you and look at the person that's a little bit deeper. Um, that's something that also helps with pickpocket teams. They usually work in threes and fours. By the time you lost your wallet, it's in a third hand that you realize it's actually gone. Um, what does it mean to be panhandled? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Those things are actually very important. Um, I am a huge proponent, as Mike knows as well, about actually the mental game, managing the squash in between your ears, um, because that is going to be the filter for all of it, the, what you process and what the outcome is actually going to be. Um, and how was that developed through experience and through training? Um, how did I get to the career that I did? I ran up the credit cards. I realized there's shit I don't know. I don't know that I don't know it, but I know I don't know, because these guys are talking to talk. And walking a walk, I don't get. So I went straight into debt before I was making $1,200 a day. Okay. So just for what that's worth, there was no shortcut even for me. Okay. Um, shameless plug. Um, I really don't have one. Um, a few people know about it. I have a place in Virginia where I teach uh, privates and I teach uh, groups. Um, and it because of my time and how I'm relegated and um, Mike, I'll be soon moving to Williamsburg. Um, I can't actually like jump full throttle into being a full-time instructor, although I, I love it. I, I enjoy it tremendously. Um, I, um, there's other pursuits that I, I enjoy. So um, if anybody wanted to contact me uh, in pursuit of something, I'll be more than happy to try to accommodate them. And that's, uh, that's basically the best that I could do. But um, I, have a, uh, I have a place in mathematics where that can accommodate uh, quite a bit right now if Christensen Arms could leave anyway go ahead Aaron so uh yeah I mean 
everything that was already mentioned for final thoughts is all important stuff. Um, and, and we talked about awareness and, and what awareness is, right? Awareness isn't just paying attention. It's paying attention to those, the right things. Um, what I like to do, and I would highly recommend for everybody, uh, when you're out even just walking around, you're out, you know, out with family and, and shopping and you're bored out of your mind and uh, you're going to that, get that next shop, um, play the what if game. I, 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 I've been doing that my whole career. I love playing the what if game. Um, you know, just run scenarios through your head. Hey, what, what, what if somebody came running in through this, uh, through this door here, where, where, you know, where could I possibly get out of this store? Um, where, where would I go in, in this mall? Uh, if something happened, you know, um, it could be any type of scenario, but, uh, you know, play the what if game. Um, it, it, even if you don't have particular training or anything like that, if you've even thought about something, even just a little bit, you're already a, you're already further ahead in the game that if something were to happen, you've already considered some possibilities, right? You're not starting from zero. So uh, do that. Uh, definitely get training. Uh, highly recommend training. And, uh, and make sure medical training is some of that as well. Um, because, you know, in those instances where, you know, you, you, you can't get out of it, right? You, you can't, uh, you know, can't avoid the situation. Um, you can't get off the X. You can't do you know, what you would prefer and something happens, um, that medical training is going to be key. And, and what, what do you have? Do you carry some minimal stuff with you? Um, do you have access to some minimal stuff? What do you have in your vehicle beyond, you know, just some band-aids or whatever? Do you have anything? So, uh, you know, that's an important thing. And, and I don't have a shameless plug other than primary and secondary. Um, you know, it, it's, it's great stuff. Great. I, I mean, really such a great resource for everything. Uh, everything related. I mean, it, and it's branched out quite a bit. Um, Matt, I'm honored that, that back when you started this up and we first met, you asked me to be a part of it oh, as, yeah. as a mod and, and, and get involved in, in, in some of the discussions and everything like that. Um, it, it's, I, I learn a lot from primary and secondary regularly. So, uh, you know, those of us that, uh, that, that take part in primary and secondary kind of on this side of things, we're learning stuff from it as well. So it's a great resource. And I just highly encourage everybody to, you know, keep checking it out and, and, and keep looking for stuff. And, and if you have some suggestions on things you'd like to see, let Matt know. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Matter of fact, I think this was, this topic I think was suggested. There's another topic that was suggested that's happening in, I think two or three weeks talking about the cost of a deadly force scenario. Mm. talking about legal stuff um like what aaron just said and this is something i bring up regularly sure we're, we're all carrying some form of a firearm not necessarily the taurus we have a video coming out about this specific 856 executive series 38 it's been my fidget spinner during this entire episode um but sure we all we're always carrying a firearm but what's more likely am i going to use the firearm or am i going to use the medical um, yeah, that training kind of important, having appropriate gear to help save a life kind of important. And yeah, we, we stress it tons. Uh, my favorite thing to say at the beginning sometimes, and always at the end of these episodes, support those sources that you have found to be beneficial. What that means is if you like what these guys have had to say, except for Aaron, because I don't know how public his stuff is, find them on social media. Find them on Instagram, find them on YouTube, on pretty much every outlet available. Find them, give them a, give them a subscribe, subscribe, 
give them likes. If they share something that helps you, share it. So if this specific episode was helpful for you, make sure you're giving it a like. If, there, if there's content in here that's going to help others, share it. It's just that simple. And it doesn't have to be primary and secondary. It doesn't have to be these guys. It should be. Um, if there's good con out, content out there, share it. Uh, not everything has to be entertaining or entertainment, I should say. I found this discussion to be very entertaining. It was also educational. There are some awesome channels that are purely entertainment. As I was just watching one earlier this afternoon. It's, it's great. Those entertaining channels, though, definitely have, they kind of have the algorithm cornered with their millions and millions of followers. Primary and secondary doesn't, I think, let's see here. What am I, 21, 22,000 on YouTube? So we're, we are tiny compared to everything else. So yeah, shares, likes, subscriptions help. And they definitely help with that whole algorithm thing. So again, support those sources that you have found to be beneficial. Uh, that also includes when any of these guys or any, any of these sources have Patreon, consider that primary and secondary does have Patreon, patreon.com slash primary and secondary. Basically that helps support the network. This past weekend, we had this huge shoot and all the Patreon subscribers were invited um, because basically they paid for the ammo. And it was, it was all you could eat shooting. I brought everything that's behind me, all my rifles. And we did, we did gel tests. We did, we, we burned this guy down. Um, the, the little 327 had some issues. It functions now though. That's good. So yeah, all the Taurus pistols actually survived um, editing those videos as we speak, but yeah, the Patreon really helps with that, doing cool projects like that. Um, big thanks to our sponsors. Big thanks to Big Tech's Ordnance, Filster, Primary Arms, Walther, and lastly, big thank you to our Patreon subscribers again. Next week, I believe we are doing uh, the third episode on survival concepts. The third, let's see here, we're going to be talking about fire building, food, and water. And that's going to be storage and um, preparation, as well as, let's see here. I think also uh, carrying it on you and things to consider. That's been a really fun uh, series. This sounds like this is going to be a series as well. Great stuff. I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, this is going to be a fun edit too. What I've been able to do with these is getting, I've been able to get them edited real quick, pass them off to the Patreon subscribers a week, uh, a week ahead of time where they get audio only without ads. And then also the YouTube link that they can watch at their leisure. And then when it's finally released, I've been releasing them on Fridays. Um, it's, it's been a good time. As a matter of fact, this upcoming Friday, I can tell you exactly what is about to be released. So that is tomorrow. Tomorrow is Survival 2 Shelter and Clothing, where we talk about those aspects. Yeah, it was, it was a fun discussion. Good panel. Been having some really good discussions recently. Imagine that. It's amazing what happens when you have good panels. So that's all. Um, those of us that were here on this panel, we're probably going to jump back into the text, figure out, or in the chat, figure out, okay, when are we coming back? When do we want to do this again? Uh, don't anticipate these to be one after another right away. There's probably going to be some time in between them. Uh, this will give you enough time to process. If you happen to be a Patreon subscriber, you'll be able to watch it live and present questions to me directly, or even when it's live, bringing up on the, in the uh, Zoom meeting. So that's all. Um, 
Primary and secondary is on Facebook. We have 736 different Facebook groups. Not really. I think we're only like 20 or 30. Uh, each have a very specific topic that they cover. Uh, everything from competition, pointing at Shannon, uh, to uh, survival, to hunting, to you name it, night vision. Sniper, what else? Gear, equipment, guns, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'll also have a forum, primaryandsecondary.com slash forum, and the, the website itself, primaryandsecondary.com. Uh, typically, what's posted there are just my own little musings, my own little articles and observations. They usually start as a Facebook post, and then I realize, you know what? I'm going to flesh this out a little bit more. So that's all. I'm going to go and find out why I'm getting phone calls on this from people <laughs> upstairs. It's my wife. So I'll talk to you guys later.